from the high desert of the great American Southwest, I bid you once again good evening, or good morning as the case may be. In my time zone, Halloween continues, and so, of course, Ghost to Ghost continues as well. Our annual trek through the weird, the bizarre, the strange, and the true. Ghost stories. That's what we tell. It is completely caller driven. We don't have guests. You are the ones who get to tell the stories. And it generally is all the scarier because of that. Last night was certainly no exception, and I suspect tonight will be a continuation of that, uh, that very fine tradition done over many, many years on this program now. And so we'll get to all that. Uh, a couple of announcements up front. This was kind of cool. Just got it. Dear Art, just thought you'd like to know, tonight, Halloween night, Art Bell's stock on the Rogue Market reached $35,000 per share. In fact, it closed at 35000 That's midnight Eastern time. This art is a solid position for a terrific climb tomorrow. <laughs> Just last Monday, which was Black Monday for Wall Street, you announced your stock had on the same day passed the $30,000 mark, and I predicted this week it would go to 35000 And as of this moment, or the closing of the rogue market, it has done exactly that. So you watch now. Over the weekend in, into uh, next week, she's headed toward 40000 You get a chance to go to the Rogue Market? Jump on over and make a mint in Rogue Dollars. How do you find the Rogue Market? You go to my website uh, at www.artbell.com, and you will see it on the left-hand side, the link to the uh, Rogue Market. Just feel free to jump on over. In addition... Last night, I put up a really strange picture from Strange Universe. In fact, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I said it was going to be tonight the uh, program covering the alien body that I've done on the website, the photo of the alien body, is going to be on Strange Universe Monday night. So I missed it by a day, or they moved it by a day, I think. And, uh, it, you know, in a lot of ways, that photograph more befits Halloween than it does an alien, I think. You look at that photograph, and there is something more horribly creature-like about it. Something out of a bad dream here on Earth than you would find uh, elsewhere. But it is represented to be the body of an alien, and the story will unfold Monday on Strange Universe. And also, this note up front, Hi Art, here is a report of a significant Halloween sighting from Reno, Nevada. My name is Jeremy, gives his whole name. I'll give it Jeremy Dunn. I'm the board op here at KOH until midnight, Friday nights. He says, I had a couple of listeners call to report a red light moving very slowly south of town. They tracked it for several minutes. I went outside, and I saw it myself. Now, this is my board op. I called the Reno Tahoe Airport, and guess what? They were getting calls on it. The tower saw it. And, as a matter of fact, had it on radar, but did not know what it was. 
a departing flight reported the object to be at about 9,000 feet altitude. Thought you'd like to know, Jeremy, 73 is Jeremy, oh, he's a ham. Jeremy is also a ham. So there you go, a Halloween sighting of all things of a red light, noted even by radar up there, as things continue to flash across our skies. Uh, another very, uh, very good uh, a Phoenix uh, picture coming shortly. As a matter of fact, uh, not of the original March 13th Phoenix lights, but of a recent UFO right over the city of Phoenix. What is it about Phoenix that's attracting U uh, UFOs? Linda will have a specific report on this one uh, coming up this Sunday. At any rate, we launch into the world of the unseen shortly. And it's interesting, I was doing an interview, or did a sort of an off-the-cuff interview on KST in Sacramento earlier in the day. And uh, since it is Halloween, they decided to, uh, to call me and uh, do a brief interview on Halloween. And I told the uh, talk show host there, go ahead, give it a shot. Try it after the interview. I said it on the air. Open your lines and uh, don't laugh at people. Don't scoff at them and just watch what happens. And then I later got a fax and said, boy, were you right. Uh, lines lit up and stayed lit up. Thanks. Now, why would uh, ghost stories be important to hear beyond the obvious fun, the vicarious fun, I might add, of hearing somebody else scared out of their wits? Now, I say vicarious because that's really what it is, when it, at least for me. When it comes down to something really happening to you, as in me, then the vicarious part of it dies a little bit. And I found out the other night, scared the hell out of me during the uh, Brad Steiger interview. I know that a lot of you heard it, but right in the middle of that interview, uh, just as I finished a break, and the music was fading, and I took my headphones off to head off into the other room, Something went on my door. And I mean, just like that. I don't even know that my mic was able to adequately uh, reproduce the pounding sound uh, that occurred on my door. Really, really loud. Not an outside door. No outside rattle, no rock, none of that baloney. This was some something that pounded on my door to the degree that I'm sure had I been all the way turned around and seen it, the door would have rattled inward, visibly. And so since I was already on the way up, I went right over and opened the door that quick. And there was nothing there. Now there are four possibilities in my home for such a sound. Three of them are kitty cats who were sound asleep on my bed. The fourth is my wife, who also, until I interrupted her, was sound asleep on our bed. So, in other words, none of the four suspects had made the sound. <laughs> so, what pounded on my door 
at a decibel level that would cause Albert, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, were he around, to, um, uh, to raise his eyes in surprise? I have no idea. But I do know this. The vicarious part of it stopped like that, and the actual scary part of it began for me. <laughs> it, was, it really was scary. So anyway, I will attempt to vicariously enjoy uh, the ghost stories of all of you out there beginning shortly. Well, all right, we're about ready to get underway, though I do have a current situation here I suppose I should um, uh, address. Um, I just got this from John in Santa Barbara. Hi, Art, I know you're not on the air right now. It's 15 minutes before the show. I am in Santa Barbara. I live alone and just went into my bathroom to find the bottom of my shower, my tub, shower in the tub, red with what looks like blood. There is also a red stain of a handprint on the wall in the shower. Oh, I've been here about a year now and have never had anything or seen anything like this before. I don't really know what to do. I'm shaking now. I'm not sure I'm going to stay in this place tonight. I was wondering if, when you get on the air, you might be able to ask your listeners for advice. <laughs> I've tried to call my landlady, but there is no answer at her place, of course. Right now I'm thinking of heading to a motel. What would you do? I wish you a good and safe Halloween. I'm sure not going to forget this for a long time. Hope the motel has a radio so I can hear your show. Well, listen, my friend. If your shower is covered with blood, and if there really is a bloody hand stain on the shower wall, my most sincere advice to you would be to call 911. Uh, before concluding that you are merely having a Halloween prank, I think that I would get hold of the police. And they will quickly enough tell you if you have blood on your wall, if you have blood in your shower. And if you do, it is better that you would call 911 than your landlady or somebody else. Believe me. All right, now to the phones and the unexpected. Whatever it is going to be tonight, here it comes. West of the Rockies, you are on the air. Good evening. Oh, hello. Yeah, I'm in uh, Cape Junction, Oregon. Cape Junction, Oregon, all right. Yeah, my mother was a faith healer, and I've seen a lot of things over the years. I'm 46 years old. that They don't scare me anymore, but I've had several of them happen. Uh, one of them that really sticks out in my mind, uh, several years ago when my would-be wife and I were together, we were at my mother's house sleeping on the floor, and I woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I seen this mist at the end of the bed, and it was a gray mist. And so I lit up a cigarette, and I'm watching it, and it's moving back and forth, and it, it looked like the Grim Reaper is what it looked like, and... uh my wife, uh, my wife woke up, seen it, hollered, and it went away. Uh, a week later, she come become very ill, and we took her to the doctor. They said it was an inflamed ovary. I took her home. We took her back again in another week, and they said it was stomach flu. 
And uh, finally, something just told me to take her to another doctor, and her appendix broke. It had been broke for two weeks, and she almost died. Oh, that's much too long. Two weeks is much too long. Yeah, well, the, they, the doctor told her it was an inflamed ovary or stomach flu, but I, I got worried. She was looking really bad. Well, she was lucky to be alive at all. Well, yeah, some kind of antibodies in her in her system formed a bag around it, and that's the only thing that saved her. Hmm. But uh, there's been several incidents. I, I've made several predictions. Uh, nine of them come true, the ones that I made, and uh, it, it's scary sometimes. <laughs> all right, my friend, thank you very much for the call. The human body is an amazing thing, far more amazing than the scientists are able to uh, yet discern. Uh, in some cases, the human body is capable of protecting against what otherwise would be a fatal disease, and there are no exceptions. Sometimes things just cure themselves. Cancer. AIDS, to the point that AIDS can no longer, you know, the HIV virus can no longer be detected. People have cured themselves uh, literally from the deathbed. Daniel Brinkley is capable of healing himself. He's proven that to me and to a lot of other people as well. It can be done. A miracle? I don't know. What do you think? First time caller line, you're on the air. Good evening. Good evening. Where, pray tell, are you, sir? I'm Samuel, and I'm on the island of Kauai. The island of Kauai, the beautiful island of Kauai. Yes, sir. It is. Okay, I got one that should freak you out. I was about six years old and uh, laying in bed, and we had a clock radio, and I know it was like about 4, 4.07, maybe 4.08 in the morning, and uh, I just woke up for some reason. I have no idea why, and I had this really kind of creepy feeling, and I looked up, and there was, of course, I didn't know it at the time, but I know today it was, uh, it certainly looked like the Grim Reaper. It was the black uh, hood, couldn't see the face, and I just freaked. That might have been, that might have been the devil. The devil? The devil. Well... Why do you say that? Oh, well, it just might have been. I mean, generally, when people talk about visitations by guides or angels that are going to take them, you know, from this life into the next, they are light creatures or they're wearing white clothing. Now, if your guy had on black clothing, kind of a men and back, uh, MIB from below, you know, yeah. that, you know, I'm not, now, now look, I'm not trying to worry you. I'm just saying that. You might want to review the way you're living your life. Well, no, no. Let me finish the story first off. All right. Okay, so I I kind of freaked, didn't quite like the character that I saw in front of me, so I closed uh -huh. my eyes, kind of pulled the covers up over me, and I had this, this tingly kind of sparkly sensation of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, energy or, or, or something or other, and I closed my eyes. And a couple seconds, or I don't know how long it was, a minute, I opened my eyes again, and I knew I was awake. And I looked up, and yeah. I could see our hallway ceiling passing in front of me, uh, up above me. Yes. And I went, what the heck is going on here? And I was I was freaking floating, man, down to, uh, I wasn't walking because I was on my back. And I'm cruising down our uh, our hallway, 
And I, so I certainly closed my eyes again because I did not like what I was experiencing. Would have been and a good I, opportunity to change some light bulbs if you <laughs> So I closed my eyes again, and uh, we had another clock radio in the, uh, in the digital, you know what I mean, in, in the living room. Yes. And uh, I opened my eyes again, and I'm laying on the floor in my living room underneath our, our uh, coffee table with, I could see the clock radio, the digital lit up, and uh, like one minute had passed from when I, I could see the clock when I was in the bedroom and I first experienced this. And so I was completely wide awake, and I, needless to say, I didn't move. I slept underneath the, our coffee table until the sun come up. <laughs> but, uh yeah. Well, so so then you don't really know, do you, what what occurred? You don't really well, of know. Of course, I'm six years old. How would I know what that? I still don't know to this day what the heck happened. Mm-hmm. But uh, you that must have been a out. bad six year old. <laughs> you must have no. really done something terrible. To no, have such I was a bad twenty year old. I was a good six year old. <laughs> all right, thank you very much for the call. A bad twenty. Yeah, we were all bad twenty year olds, weren't we? <laughs> You know, just, uh, you know, there's some, some way, somehow, that I suppose I have to hope uh, that God judges people um, at, at, a, at a latter age. And that, that may want to be the, one of the bad things about dying at 20. I mean, think back to in your own life, you know. You'd have died at 20 and gone through a full life review, short as it would have been at that point. At the age of 20, you would look a whole lot different uh, than you would at uh, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Think about it. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. How you doing, Lord? I'm doing all right. Where are you? It's in New Orleans. New Orleans, yes, sir. Yeah, we're, we're getting better, too. I know New Orleans. New Orleans really is a place where this kind of stuff flourishes. Yeah, and the one I'm going to tell you, it has something to do with Marie Laveau. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's a real spooky story, but it actually happened. Uh, I'm, you know, I kid you not. And this is how it would happen. I had um, some friends that were in a uh, a play at at UNO. It was like a teleplay film. And uh, one of the pictures I had was the girl who played Marie Laveau. And uh, I had dug them up a couple of months ago. Dug them up. All right. On that note, we're going to have to pause. Okay. Because we're at break point here now. Do you want to hold on, and we'll let you unwind your story, and it's... Oh, I got so many stories from being down here, but this one... This, this one is the one we... Oh, right. That's what we want. The very best story you've got, and it sounds like that's what's just ahead. As we do every year, this is Ghost to Ghost AM. to a rebroadcast of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, back to our wild card line. You're back on the air again. How you doing, Art? All right. I'll just recap it for a little bit. Actually, I was looking for some important papers, you know, and I was scrummaging around boxes and stuff, and I was digging in this one box, 
and I came across a picture of this girl who acted in a, a movie uh, about Marie Laveau. And, you know, you're an affectionado for exotic girls and stuff. Oh, yes. You know, and this picture was beautiful, and I said, I had to have it. You know, I just asked her if I could have it, and she said, yeah. She was surprised that somebody wanted a picture of her. So anyway, I said, I'm going to put this on my um, on my wall. And so I took it, and I put it on the wall next to a poster. Okay, and it was, you know, right behind a lamp, but you could see it when you walked in the room. Mm. And, uh, so, you know, that night I went to bed, woke up the next morning. Oh, darn, I, I was going to guess she came to you in the night. Well... Um, um, let me let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. All right. It totally blew me away. I was getting up out of bed, and the lamp was still on, right? And it was there was a reflection on the TV on the dark TV screen, and the reflection was about six inches by six inches. And and it was some mad character, a devious looking smile. Reflect. It wasn't me. It was coming. It was coming from the wall where I placed this picture of the girl that played Marie Laveau. And by just moving, putting the picture in a certain way with a poster behind it and whatnot, yes. this mad image came out on the screen of the TV. It was just a reflection. And I said, my God, what is that, you know? And I got up and it disappeared, you know? And I said, man, this is strange. And I turned the lamp off, and there was no there was no reflection there, you know. And so that night, the same thing, you know, I, I got the lamp on, I turn off the TV, and the reflection comes back of this mad-looking person, devious-looking face. Yes. I'm going, man, this is crazy, you know. And uh, what I did was, <clears throat> eventually, I... Uh, you know, I just moved the picture to another spot, and the thing went away. Well, I guess one could conclude that you were getting a, um, a just sort of a distorted reflection of her in the television. Or it may be the reflection of her in any other object would be a creature that you would not want to meet in the middle of the night. I really thought your story was going somewhere else. I thought... Uh, perhaps uh, in the morning you would have awakened uh, with the need for a cigarette, though you don't even smoke or something like that. In other words, she came to you in the midst of the night, but no. East of the Rockies, you're on the air on Ghost to Ghost AM. Hello. How you doing, Art? Uh, just fine. Uh, I'm from Gulfport, Florida. Gulfport, Florida. Okay. Yeah. All the way across the continent from you. Yes. Um, it's a little continent, though, now. Well, that's true, especially nowadays. Yes. Um, I wanted to tell you about something that happened in uh, about 1977, 1978. First person to you? To me. Okay. Um, at the time, I was working um, at O'Hare Airport. I was working security there. It was my first job. And uh, I was living in Chicago uh, with four other roommates. Mm-hmm. You know, all guys. Um, that way, we didn't have to worry about you know doing laundry and stuff. You know, everybody's stuff was all over the place, and we didn't give a care. <laughs> so, you know, I worked late late nights. Communal trash. Yeah, basically, basically. Yeah, I think I've got the picture. <laughs> Typical bachelor pad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked late nights predominantly, um, but one 
one night, it was Halloween night in, like I said, 77 or 78, mm-hmm. um, I worked in the evening from 4 to 12. And uh, when I got home, now these guys, you know, the other three guys had been uh, sort of dabbling in the occult. They'd been, uh, they'd gotten a bunch of uh, books on demonology and stuff. Oh, my. Yeah. They these, were, your roommates were doing this, huh? Yeah, they, they were doing that. Now, that's a red flag right away. Didn't that worry you a little bit? Not really, because, uh, uh, well, I'm, I have my own beliefs, and I'm not really that... Uh, I mean, you weren't worried about ending up on a sacrifice altar some night with the three of them staring at you? No, not really. really. All right. These guys were a little bit nuts, but they weren't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would have... I would like to think that I would have... Uh, what is your first name? Eric. I mean, Eric, they would be looking down at you saying, Eric, we gave you every opportunity to join us. <laughs> we, we really wish you had. But now we need you. For a higher purpose, and then there would be this long, jagged, twisted knife. You, you know how that goes. Oh yeah, yeah. All, and all at any rate, the not, sacrifice. Not, that, that's right. So none of that was true. No, none of that. None of that. But uh, I, I came home and I found that uh, they had gone into the basement. Now this was a, a, a big, you know, long apartment building. Um, you know, two blocks long. It was a zigzag. Um, architecture, um, sort of like an L-shaped pattern, mm-hmm. and uh, in our section of the building, we had exclusive use of the, uh, of the basement, and uh, I, came, I came home, and I looked around, and I didn't see them anywhere, and I happened to notice that one of their books was out on the table, so I went down looking, looking for them in the basement. And they'd gone ahead and made the protective uh, circle of uh, uh, sanctified uh, sand, and uh, yes, they had the pentacle in on the, on the floor on the inside of the circle of sand. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys was uh, doing some sort of a summoning, attempting to summon a demon. Yes, and like I said, I'm not exactly the most uh, believing individual in the world i've got my you know i've got my own religious beliefs but the the demonology in that i i sort of uh, was okay here they were trying to summon up something with big teeth and and right in the middle of it i made the comment if there is a devil give us a sign oh, oh wait a minute. that makes you part of it you know well yeah i guess so but at the same time i was being a sarcastic little schnook Peer pressure, I guess. Well, no, I was being sarcastic. So you said, fine, if there's a devil, let's have a sign, and what happened? Well, inside the basement, far corner, was a footlocker. Okay, old World War I wooden footlocker. Right. And inside that footlocker was a radio. It's funny, you'd mentioned the transistor radio earlier. Right. Uh, This was a transistor radio. It had been in a fire. It was one of the other guys. It was. Uh, it had been his brother's, and um, he had stuck it inside the footlocker after it had burned. Why, I don't know, but he did. And uh, it was one of those things where the footlocker itself was damaged. Nobody could get into it without destroying it because his younger brother had gone ahead and, try, you know, 
done, pulled a practical joke on him and stuck some super glue in there. Yep, that'll do it. All right, so we've got to get to the punchline right. here. The key had broken off. Nobody could get in. Right. That, that radio had not worked in I don't know how long. And immediately after I said, you know, give us a sign, yes. that radio started playing. Well, she is a devil woman with evil on her mind. It started playing that. That's correct. Do you understand the implications of that for your soul? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very nice laugh you have, but I'm being very serious. Do you no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Are you, are you ready for the ride? Uh, there won't be. <laughs> there won't be. Uh-huh. I know where I'm going. Do you? Uh, have you ever been in an elevator in like a 50 or 60 um a story building, and you know, you press the down thing, and it's like you lose some of your weight, and you can feel yourself lightening up as it goes down. Oh yeah. Uh huh. Well, that's nothing compared to the ride you're going to take. Uh, well, maybe. <laughs> Just having fun with you, but that is not good. You do not, uh, particularly in a situation of uh, a circle of safety, protection, a pentagram three other guys ask for a sign from the devil and then obviously get one and not be uh, somewhat uh, concerned about your ultimate destination and it won't be on a uh, L-1011. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Well, hello, Art. How are you? I'm fine. I'm really glad you took this call. Um, I want to tell you something that happened to me about 23 years ago. Where are you now? Okay, this is Lady of Kinnick. I'm in Kinnick, Alaska. Oh, no kidding. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Okay. And and this happened back when I wasn't living right. And uh, You mean you were? I was not living right. <laughs> living, living a little on the wild side, fast lane, that kind of thing? Yeah. It oh, was, okay. It was worse than that. Worse anyway, than that. Oh, okay. uh, I, it was down in Fort Lauderdale. And down from the, the Broward General Hospital, there was this house. And they went and they turned it into a haunted house. And it had like all these exhibits and booths and oh, everything. Oh, you mean like a commercial haunted house? Yeah, it was a commercial one. Right. Well, what had happened is uh, my father was killed on Thanksgiving Day before I was born, and and I wasn't born until three days after Christmas. So killed, I never killed as in murdered? You mean? No, he went in an airplane crash. Okay. And they didn't find his body till I was like six months old. Right. And um, my auntie, who's was very psychic, it on my mother's side of the bloodline that's their problem and there was this pair of wooden shoes that he had brought back from when he was in the military and he gave them to my auntie and she had them in this like a china closet where my uncle had gone all over the world and collected all these things and i always wanted them wooden shoes and she passed over and the shoes came to me and I had them, I was living in this apartment, and there was a television set that had not worked in years. And I went and had a bedspread put over it, and I had this big mirror to where you kind of, kind of see yourself laying on the bed. Like I said, I wasn't living right back in them days. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I know, I know. Anyway, so, yes. Anyway, what had happened is I went to this haunted house exhibit, and the very last exhibit, before you go out the door, there was this plaster repair skull. And it looked really, really real. And I reached over and I grabbed it. 
and I put it in this big handbag I had, right. and I booked out with it. And I had had this thing for a couple of months. I moved to this apartment. I, I took the skull, and I had it on top of this old TV, which had not been used in years. There was no plugs on the wall. I just had it like a table. I guess you could call it an altar. My mama told me to be careful about chicks who carry skulls. Oh, man, it gets worse. Okay. And I had this skull sitting on top of this TV, and I had a wooden shoe on each side of it, and the mirror was behind it, and I had this crocheted green thing, like, hanging up wispy over the mirror. And I went to sleep, and at this time, my son was just a little itty-bitty, just a couple of months old. And I went into the sleep, and I kept hearing this voice, and it told me to wake up. And it's like I had a really hard time waking up. And when I woke up, this is gospel. Just like just like on them biker shirts where you see the skull with the flames shooting out of the side. Yes. There was no ashtrays, there was no cigarettes. Yes. From the side of this skull there was these flames that were just absolutely shooting out like there was a blowtorch turned on. Really? And the inside of the shoes, like where it would go in the inside of your feet, was just absolutely charred. So I, I got up. I took my, my son, I set him outside the apartment on the grass. I went into the, to the bathroom because all I had was a shower, and I dumped the diaper bucket, and I got a bucket of water, and I went ahead and poured it over this skull and everything. <laughs> and what the, I saw... You had to put the skull out? You betcha. Let me tell you something. This is going to blow your mind. Okay, when I walked okay. outside and let the smoke come out of the apartment, yes. these two little girls that I knew that were teenagers, they worked at Burger King off the of Sunrise Boulevard. This was like 23 years ago. They came back to visit me, and they asked me, like, wow, what's going on? I said, walk inside the apartment and tell me if you see anything. Uh-huh. And they walked in. And they came out, and they were as white as sheets. I said, what did you see? Art, there in the mirror was the most perfect picture of me, asleep on the bed, done in smoke. <laughs> and I want you to know, you talk about getting up and moving out that day, <laughs> I was history. Is that when you changed your life? No, I didn't get baptized till 1988. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's why I really wanted to talk to Harlot the other night. Um, we're going to replay the show with Harlot tomorrow night, serving fair notice to my affiliates. That was one freaky show. Do you think she's listening right now, or do you think she's busy? If I had to guess, I'd say, I'd say yes. May I say one thing to her? You may. Harlot, if you're listening... I want you to know that when you went and summoned Lucifer, who's actually in the lower heavens right now, to talk to God about having your son to be in the satanic religion. She didn't talk to God about having her she son. She talked to Satan. She talked to Satan and to, delivered her son to, to deliver Satan. her son to where That's he would right. be into the craft, to be right. a, a priest for Satan. Yes. Well, that baby's home safe with Jesus. Well, well, I guess the Lord is a merciful God to spare that child that kind of life. But how do you know that? Because it's a little itty-teeny little baby, and she talked to Satan about having him to become in the faith and to be dedicated to Satan to grow up to be a priest. Mm-hmm. And the baby ain't here. All right, I thank you for the call. I don't, I'm not as sure of that. I, I have no way of being as sure. By the way, uh, my all-time favorite person in scary movies... 
beyond any shadow of any doubt, is now Christopher Walken. I saw Prophecy, and I just had the opportunity to see Prophecy too. And I'm telling you right now, there is no more natural, evil, scary, perfect person for the part of an archangel gone bad than Christopher Walken. The guy is positively eerie. He's absolutely incredible. Okay, we're going to break here at the bottom of the hour. Tonight, we shall devote to, well, what we're doing, ghost stories. We do that this year, kind of ghost to ghost plus. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. From east of the Rockies, dial 1-800-825-5033. That's 1-800-825-5033. From west of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, call Art at 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers, dial Art at area code 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now again, here's Art. Well, that takes care of it, except for the international line. And I am encouraged tonight to give it out. I've been getting so many international emails. Boy, they just have been flooding in. I got a nice one from Scotland earlier tonight. Somebody said, man, you've got a lot of listeners here in Scotland. They don't do the kind of show you do here. And so I thought, I would tell everybody in Scotland and England and Japan and all over the world that we have one of the first, no, the first true international toll-free line uh, that AT&T ever constructed. It's toll-free from anywhere in the world. It's absolutely remarkable, actually. Let me tell you how to call us from anywhere in the world. Be a fun night to get a bunch of uh, international calls, wouldn't it? So here we go. You get the AT&T operator on the line. She's not hard to find. You call your local operator and just ask for the AT&T operator and say, I would like to call in the United States, toll free, 800-893-0902. From anywhere outside uh, this great nation, we are borderless on this radio program. That's 1-800, no, not 1. Actually, you don't dial the 1. You just have the AT&T operator dial 800-893-0903. And from wherever you are in the world, it will be absolutely toll-free. By the way, my boss, Alan Corbett, is preparing to wing his way to Great Britain. And one of the things he's going to be doing there is consummating the deal with uh, 
a talk radio network in Britain to carry the program. So we are going to spread our wings a little bit, and we are, for at least a period of the evening, going to be live throughout the British Isles, Scotland, and uh, who knows uh, where else uh, we're heard in Europe. But we're going to get on a radio network there. It's going to be a lot of fun, particularly with the toll-free line. So once again, if you're outside the country, scare up an AT&T operator and have her call 800-893-0903 from any place in the world, and we will whisk you in toll-free. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. My name's Sherry, and I'm from Kansas City. Hi, Sherry. Okay, this happened back in 1980. I was dating this really neat city councilman, and he had bought an older home, beautiful old home, and um, he converted this big attic into a beautiful big bedroom. Mm -hmm. And it must have been, I don't know, 30 feet long on this one side, and that whole side was nothing but a big closet, huge long closet. You know how you are about closets? Oh, yes. So am I. Now, up until then, I never believed in this stuff. So he was asleep one night, and I hadn't been, but I fell asleep, and a knocking woke me up. Mm. Didn't stir him at all. So I kind of opened my eyes and was looking, you know, and I looked over at the closet, and out popped this head. A head? Down to the shoulders. Oh, Lord. A head, head out of the closet to the shoulders? Down to her shoulder. She popped her head out, and she had short brown, kind of wavy hair and a flowery dress on. Yeah. And I stared, you know, and I kind of froze, and I just stared and looked, and then she turned her head and looked at me, and she saw, we kind of eye to eye, you know, and she went back in the closet. And I just, I mean, I woke him up. I said, Ed, wake up, wake up. I just saw the most strange thing. I know I saw it. And he said, what was it? What'd she look like? He, I told him, he says, oh, don't worry about her. He said, uh, she's real nice. He said, when I built this room, she, I saw her when I finished the closet. He said, uh, she walked in there. But what we figured out, what he said, why she was there, was this house was built by her father when she got married, and the man left her, and she committed suicide in the attic. Great. And so she was in your closet. Yes, and she lived in the closet, and she liked him because he said, don't worry about it, she's really nice. Uh-huh. Well, I told she can have him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of that, huh? No, I got out of that deal. I don't blame you at all. Thank you very much for the call. I don't like open closets at night. Now, I've never had anything peek out of my closet, and if I did, my my intense dislike of open closets at night would quickly convert to, I'm leaving this closet for somebody else. I'd be out of here. There is no way, there's no way on God's green earth that I would go to sleep uh, with a closet open or closed from which somebody had peeked their head and shoulders out. No way. No way. On my international line, you are on the air. Good morning. Hi. Hi there. Uh, where are you? 
in Vancouver, Canada. All right, Vancouver. Welcome to the uh, program. Do you have a ghost story for us? Yes, I do. All right. Um, Turn your radio off. That's it. Oh, right. Okay. You've got to do that up in Vancouver. Okay. When I was young, my father bought a house, and it was built in the 1920s. And uh, this guy gave it to him for a really good price, and uh, so he bought it. And two weeks later, the guy came back and begged him to have the house back and said he should have explained to him more about what what happened in the house before he had sold it to him. So anyway, my father said, no, this is our first house. We're going to keep it. And um, apparently what this guy told my father, and he never said anything to the family for years till later, was that um, there were three generations living in the house. They were from uh, the West Indies. And they were practicing voodoo. <clears throat> and basically, he said he wanted to buy the house back from him and that he shouldn't have let a young family buy the house in the first place knowing the history. So anyway, my father thought, well, you know, we're just going to live with it and, uh, and went on with that. And then he, he accepted it. Uh, I would have, you know what I would have, you know what I would have assumed? I would have assumed that the guy somehow had buyers, uh, excuse me, sellers remorse or somehow, you know, wanted the house back, and a good story of a haunting in the house is a great way yeah. to scare somebody to sell it back well, to you. Maybe now. that's what my dad thought. Yeah. You know, because he was a pretty skeptical person when it came to this kind of thing. Sure. But then a lot of things happened all through um, the years when we had lived in the house. A lot of weird things happened, and, and in fact, it led to the... It got so bad that we'd had three or four priests come to the house and bless the house, and there was one time when it was so bad, one priest was summoned to come to the house. And well, what house. could have happened in that house to be so bad that you would summon a priest? Just a lot of different things. Um, we, we had a lot of uh, religious paraphernalia on the walls, like crosses and pictures of Jesus and things like that. Yes. And um, we had this one cross that kept dropping to the floor, and... There was no way that it could, if that could happen because of the way it was hung on the wall. It was right above the basement door, mm-hmm. um, and that kept falling. And my dad thought, geez, you know, why does this thing keep coming off the wall? That happened, and uh, my mom had a lot of weird things happen where she'd be sleeping and she'd feel a tremendous weight on top of her. Oh, yes. She couldn't move. Oh, yes. And it became so commonplace. I didn't think anything of it when she would call out in the middle of the night and say, pass me my rosary or passed me the Bible, which she'd keep on her nightstand, but she was paralyzed. She couldn't move. So I'd come and give this to her, and whatever it was, left. Uh-huh. And it was always targeting her, and I thought, well, you know, maybe it's targeting her because she's, you know, she's always sick. So maybe she's she's weak in some way. And she's sure, I think they go, yeah, sure, they go after the weak. Yeah, so um, things like that used to go on, and my dad said certain parts of the house were really cold, and... Um, we noticed it, too. Things like that. And um, there were just a lot of things like this going on all the time, weird things. We'd hear footsteps on the basement steps. And there's a man who, before we moved in, hung himself in the bath in the bedroom downstairs. Oh, this house just has a great bathroom. <laughs> all right, so anyway, what happened? Then anyway, when, when the third or fourth time we'd called a priest over the years, one time when these things were occurring more often, he came, and it was a different priest this time. And he got out of his car, and my dad came and opened the front door and saw him arrive, and he was going to greet him. And he wouldn't come over to the house. <laughs> he wouldn't even step across the street onto the pavement that was out front of our house. He said, 
he felt something that was so bad to the house, he didn't even want to enter right. come onto our lawn. Right. And my dad came down the stairs, and I was standing in the doorway watching. And the priest was apologizing, saying, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm going to have to send somebody else because whatever is there, I can feel it. It's quite bad, and it's, uh, he goes, I, 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 can't, I can't handle this. And he left. <laughs> he was scared. He, he didn't want to come in the house. Now that's really bad. I mean, yeah. a priest arrives to do something for the house, and it's so bad that he leaves? Oh. He left. <laughs> so we had this other guy. He sent him out, and he was so he felt very bad. He, he was apologizing a lot. And um, he even phoned back a few times to apologize. He felt really oh. badly about leaving us there. <laughs> I, I understand. <laughs> It's kind of like a doctor getting up and walking away from some guy who's bleeding on the street, you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, we had things like that going on all the time, and uh, um, I don't know. It, it just seemed to continue, and, and then one day uh, when everyone was older, when the children weren't children anymore, it seemed to have just go, go, went away. So... Well, it may, uh, thank you very much, it may have been the children that brought it in the first place. Uh, particularly teenage girls, I don't know why, but particularly teenage girls have a propensity for attracting these things, or creating them, or summoning them, or being the source of them. We don't exactly know which is true, but we just know the phenomena tends to occur frequently around teenage girls. Now, why do you suppose that might be? Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello. Hello there. How's it going? Okay, where are you? I am Waterloo, Illinois. Waterloo, Illinois. Haha, <laughs> I just played Waterloo. <laughs> well, um, my buddy called last year, okay, for your ghost stories. Yes. And his parents had bought a sports complex, okay, and um, when we were remodeling this place, we would feel very cold spots in in this place, you know. So um, over the course of the year, you know, the, the place came up and running. And well, late at night when we would we would all show up there and you know skate around. It's a roller hockey rink. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we started hearing strange stuff. But one night, we had come out of the locker room and went upstairs, and my friend. Randy was downstairs in the locker room yet, and he come out, and, uh, well, first of all, he came up the steps, and he was white as a ghost. I was like, what's wrong with you? And he's telling me that uh, he's seen this black mass that looked like a man that was mm -hmm. seven feet tall, mm -hmm. and, and it's not, you couldn't see through it, but it was just a black mass. Very and bad. He walked towards an exit, or it went towards an exit away from him and went out the door. Okay, three weeks later, my friend Aaron is, uh, is, this is his parents' place. He was, you know, locking up, and we weren't there. But uh, he was going to the office door, and he seen something out of, the, out of the back of his, you know, corner of his eye. And he turned around, and this thing was reaching for him. <laughs> as soon as he turned around, it disappeared. I mean, he, like, jumped and blinked, and it disappeared. But since then... There's only one person that, uh, besides them two, that have seen it, and he's like a, you know, I know it's true because he like uh, just plays there, you know, or, you know, and he don't know us or nothing. He came up and he goes, I seen something really weird in the locker room downstairs, 
And uh, he told us what it was. He explained it to us to a T. Well, there you are. Uh, yet another story of an entity. Now, as I told somebody earlier today, you can take any one of these stories, and I think you can rather easily dismiss them one way or another. You know, as you think them through, you can dismiss them. But collectively, you cannot take all the stories you're hearing. And the lines are, you know, as always, just absolutely loaded. And it could go on and on and on and on and on and on. And when you don't uh, chuckle at people when they tell you a story, then uh, people are unafraid to come forward as they hear others and tell their stories. So collectively, how can you possibly deny that these things must be true, that there must be something to it? Singly, perhaps. Collectively, not a chance. Not if you're an objective person and you listen carefully. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Fred from McKeesport, uh, Pennsylvania. Hi, and Fred. Welcome back from vacation. Thank you. Uh, i got a uh, ghost story for you that's confirmed by three different people. And uh, first of all, I'd like to ask you a question. Did you get my letter about the uh, the MUFON report that I sent to you with the triangle and the uh, line on my thumb? Yes, I did. You did? I did. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, here's my ghost story. Bought this house back in 1972. My mother did. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of um, my family's religious practices is once they move into a new house, they call in the priest and um, have them bless the house and the whole ball of wax. I have never done that. Well, she did that. I've never, you know, I don't subscribe to to that anymore myself. But she got remarried after my dad had died. He'd been dead about a year, and she remarried this bozo, and uh, <laughs> subsequently got divorced. But uh, when she got remarried, she moved out. Uh-huh. So I decided, hey, I've got this whole house to myself. I'm moving into the master bedroom instead of my little tiny little bedroom that I had in the, the back part of the house. How old were you? I'd been back from Vietnam. I was 22. So it's like party time. You've got your own place. Oh, you know it. All right. So I'm listening to late night talk radio. Unfortunately, this is back in 1972. I don't think I was listening to you at that time. Uh, but I was listening to um, the radio. And I turned it off, and I was getting ready to go to bed. All of a sudden, you know, we have a lot of... At that time, we had a lot of factories going on around here. I mean, the steel mills were all still going on, you know, great guns. Sure. But uh, now they're all dead. But the thing of it is, I'm laying in bed, and I start hearing what sounded like breathing. Labored breathing. Of course, labored. And it sounded like it was, you know, somebody sounded like had pneumonia or emphysema or something like that. Yes. And... I thought, well, okay, it's one of the factories, you know, and I'm just laying there, and all of a sudden, it starts getting louder and louder. Yeah, right. And I said, what, the adrenaline started popping. Of course it did. And, you know, me being just back from Vietnam, I grabbed my 45 from underneath my pillow. I had a cocked and locked sitting on my chest, and I said, anybody that comes through this damn door is dead. And believe it or not, 
I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you're you're lying in bed. I've got a street light outside my window mm-hmm. in the master bedroom. We have, we must hurry now. We're coming on okay. a break. Yeah, the whole room got really, really dark. The whole room got really, really dark, and all of a sudden I started a pressure pushing on my body. Right. I mean, pushing me into the mattress like it was almost like I couldn't I could not breathe. Right. And I got I'll tell you what I got the hell out of that room. I have never been back in that room. I will not sleep in that room. Uh, my when my mother was still married, uh, her son-in-law um, and wife come over and stayed at our house because they were living in the other house. And uh, he confirmed something in the house. And this guy was a CIA analyst. I mean, we're talking, you know, black suit guy. And after my mother. Um, her sister died. About ten seconds. Okay, she took care of her sister, or her niece, and come over. And her niece only spent one night in the house, and then boogied. She would not spend another night in this house. Yet another haunted house. I guess the party was canceled. <laughs> oh boy! Ghost stories from the high desert. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. And now, back to the best of Art Bell. Back to the phones we go, and the ghost stories continue. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Hi. Um, Cindy calling from Salt Lake. Uh, it's interesting, Cindy. I, apparently, you just had a snowstorm in Salt Lake. Is that correct? Uh, we had one last uh, Friday. All right. Well, I've got an article from the Salt Lake Tribune that says... The storm started with a bang, a oh, clap boy. of thunder that started and uh, 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 scared people all across Salt Lake City in the valley. Yes. And and then a snowstorm. Yep. I have never heard such thunder in my life. We thought it was an earthquake. Um. Yeah, I've got the article here, <laughs> and it's, it's so it's strange you should call. And I, you know, the picture. <laughs> I'm going to hold it up on my. Um, uh, my studio cam and let everybody see it. But I've got the newspaper picture, and it shows this witch with a broom about halfway up a pole, <laughs> with all the snow below, you know, trying to get away. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's anyway. A strange around here. Uh huh. Well, um, this little story happened in 1981. Four of my friends and I were coming home from California uh, from a graduation trip, a high school graduation trip coming home to Salt Lake. We are leaving Palm Springs in the, e- in the night because it was so hot. It's about 120 during the day, so we decided to travel at night. We were on the road outside of Palm Springs. I can't remember exactly where we were going. It was, a, it was just a, a two-way road. And a sign, there was a sign that said no services for a certain amount of miles, so we knew we were going into quite a desolate part of the desert. Um, and we, here we were. You know, five young girls never really experienced anything like we were going to experience and never have. But uh, about an hour into the desert, um, we were getting tired. A few of us were asleep. The driver, my friend that was driving, said, what is that up ahead? There's someone off to the side of the road. And we, we one at a time, woke up. And the minute we started looking at it, we all got the most horrible feeling. It was just an awful feeling. Hmm. 
and we couldn't figure out what was going on. As we got closer, she slowed down, and we noticed there was a woman off about maybe 10 feet off of the road. She was she had white hair, long white hair, white skin, this long flowing white robe, a dress, holding a white dog on a chain. In the middle of nowhere, Art, we had not even seen any cars for a long, long time. There were no, you know, homes or we had not gone through any towns. And as we got closer, we realized what it was. And the wind hadn't even been blowing that night, but her dress was blowing, her hair was blowing. And she looked at us with the most evil eyes I have never seen. She didn't look human. Um, her skin was so pale and white. And she looked at us to the left, and as we went by her slowly, her head turned so far. There's no way any human head could turn that far to follow us. And it was it was freaky. Most shades, freaky thing I've shades, yep, shades of the exorcist. Oh, it was just unreal. We were we were so upset for for a long time after that. And every time we get together now, after all these years, we always talk about that white lady and in the white dress with her dog in the middle of nowhere. There you are. There you are. <laughs> uh, there you are. Thank you very much for the call and the story. And what I said, and she just confirmed, is true. Horrendous claps of thunder above Salt Lake, followed by a snowstorm. And if you will go to my website right now and take a quick look at the live studio cam, which normally shows a live shot of me sitting here doing the show, catching me in heaven knows what sort of poses. Um, I, I've held up uh, the picture from the, um, uh, the Salt Lake Tribune showing a witch with a broom uh, partway up a phone pole. And, of course, you'll recall Patsy Harlot, if you will, who was from Salt Lake City, uh, and will be repeated tomorrow night, Saturday night, Sunday morning. You're not going to want to miss that if you didn't catch it the first time. That's really scary. Uh, the person included a little caption here of their own that says, Hey, Art, look at what happened to Patsy the Witch the other night. <laughs> You'll see that uh, photograph up there. Wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, what, good to have you. Where are you? I'm in Reno. Reno, Okay. My story is, uh, it actually comes out of the 70s from Bremerton, Washington. All right, you're going to have to get into that phone and yell at us. Okay. You... Okay. All right, uh, I can bar off and on for the American Legion in Bremerton, Washington back in the 70s. Right. And the building that the American Legion is in was originally across the street inside the shipyard. It was a uh, serviceman's club. And back in the 40s, they moved the building from the shipyard across the street to where it is now. Right. During the move, there was a man who was crushed under the building. Uh, for several years while I was tending bar, anybody in that, that was in there heard noises. We had secured locked doors. Every once in a while, a door would open. Mm -hmm. The alarms would go off. We all got very used to it and decided this was the man who had been crushed, and we nicknamed him George because we didn't know, you know what his name was. And he he was kind of mischievous, but he never really did anything bad. But upstairs in this building is a huge hall where they hold bingo and convention dinners. On a Thursday night, I was tending bar, and the post commander and vice commander were upstairs setting up the hall 
for a convention dinner for the next night. And they had all the chairs and tables nicely arranged, everything done. And about 11 p.m., they came downstairs to the bar, and I was closing things down. They sat down to have a beer, and we heard a lot of scraping noises upstairs. So they went back upstairs, and a few of the chairs had been moved. And they thought someone was in the building. They looked all around, couldn't find anybody, came back downstairs. I was almost finished closing out, and... It was like thunder and scraping, and it was just horrendous noise upstairs. This time, the post commander went up the stairs from inside the building. The vice commander went outside the building up the fire escape, just in case there was somebody there trying to get out. When they got up there, all of the tables had been moved, Hmm. all of the chairs, the wheelchairs that had been in a storage room, which also was locked, were in the middle of the room. They came back downstairs, just white as ghosts. Sure. And we, I didn't even finish putting my money away. We left. <laughs> locked the building, left. Wise move. Yes, I think so. In the morning, they came back to rearrange everything. It was all fixed. Perfectly. It was all rearranged. Mm-hmm. Tell me something. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just sort of a uh, what if. But if you if you died, and you found yourself trapped here on Earth as a spirit, in other words, you could move about and do what you wanted to do, but nobody would see you, nor sense you, nor feel you, nor have any chance of um, knowing that you're even there, save uh, an occasional rattle or something. Uh, in other words, you could be a ghost, or you could be a spirit, or you could... What would you do? Oh, boy. You're on Earth. You're a spirit. You're among the living, but you're not. What would you do? That's really hard. I, um... <laughs> First of all, I don't think I'd want to be there. Oh, no, I didn't that ask you. Easy. Yeah, but I didn't ask you but... where you wanted to be. I said, if that was the case. I think I would like to uh, be the fly on the wall in the White House. <laughs> good for you. All right for you. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a good one. Any of the rest of you who would like to consider that might do so. If you, if you in, in effect, woke up dead and found yourself surrounded by the living, uh, but utterly invisible to them, unable to affect their actions... What would you do? Her answer was a pretty good one. Either fly on the wall at the White House. But even that, I suppose, would be boring after a while. East of the Rockies, you're on the air on Ghost to Ghost AM. Hello. Good morning, Art. Good morning. Where Where are you? Well, Elvis says hi. Elvis says hi. <laughs> Memphis, huh? Uh-huh. All right. Uh, by the way, my wife is very jealous. She says that she spends more nights with me than she does, which uh, I'm a... Uh, truck driver, and I listen to you all the time, but uh, getting down to brass tacks, it seems as though I've been a magnet all my life for, I don't know, supernatural experiences or whatever. We'll be all right. Just keep your hand off my knee. I won't touch it, I promise. (laughs) I keep both hands on the wheel or try to most of the time anyway, (laughs) except those occasional times that I doze off, but... uh, (laughs) You know, uh, it's funny you should mention that, because... That does happen to a lot of truck drivers, doesn't it? And they, even even when they don't crash, they fall asleep and they wake up 
and there they are still going down the road. Well, you have mind lapses, you know, which is it's <laughs> like, I don't know if you really go to sleep, but... You're you, sort of hypnotized, actually. You lose whole towns, you know, like states, <laughs> you know, towns, pieces of highway. And yeah, I, I, I drive I drive a, a little Geo Metro, and it's just us, us Metro people really like hearing that about the giant 18-wheelers. Anyway, go ahead with your story. Okay, uh, when I was 12 years old, my father died. And we were very, I was born and raised in a very rural area, and we were very, very poor. And I had wondered, after my father died, you know, how we were going to do things. He was 67 years old when I was born, so that can give you some idea of his age. Mm -hmm. And Dad always wore overalls and the old A-type undershirts. Oh, yes. And he always wore a felt hat and he smoked Prince Albert cigarettes. Mm Mm-hmm. And I woke up one night, which, you know, a lot of people say that it was, you know, due to the fact that my father had passed away and all this, and I was wide awake, and my father was standing at the foot of the bed, and he always called me Bubba. And he said, Bubba, he said, don't worry about it. He said, you know, everything will be all right. And ever since that time, I've never felt really scared of being around certain things. But I had rented a house in uh, the northeastern part of Memphis. Uh, this has been about four or five years ago. And I had a roommate. And I would be gone for anywhere from a week to two weeks, and I'd come back home and he'd tell me about these strange things that happened in the house while I was gone. Mm-hmm. And I came home one time, and he was gone. He was gone? He was gone. He decided to leave. So I was at the house for, oh, I reckon, a month or two by myself. And I was dating a woman that had a key to the house. Uh-huh. All right, I was in the shower one night taking a shower. The door's locked. There's burglar bars on the windows. There's burglar bars on the doors. Right. All the doors were locked. I'm in the shower taking a shower. And the light switch goes on and off. And I figured, okay, you know, she's... She's, got, in, the, she's in the apartment messing around. Right. You know, she's going to come over, you know, and you know, try to scare me because, you know, I'd heard certain things and felt certain things in the house. Mm-hmm. And I got out of the shower and dried off, you know, and, you know, just kind of casually walked through the living room and looked around. There wasn't anybody there. And there was a time when, in the springtime, I had uh, windows that I would open and draw the curtains back and use a ceiling fan. And I woke up one morning about one thirty or 2, which is nothing unusual when I went home, and I lit a cigarette and was sitting there smoking it, or laying there, and I felt somebody sit down on a bed. It's a water bed. <laughs> and there's a mirrored headboard. Yes. So I look at the headboard, you know, because I'm kind of curious because I'm the only one there. Mm. And there's no one there. But you could feel the bed move. You know, we're talking about a, a full-motion mattress. Oh, I know. I know, you can feel the, the displacement of the water. There would be no doubt about the fact that something was on the bed. Right, there's lumps where there wasn't lumps before. You yeah, know. yeah. And like I said, this this ghost or spirit or whatever you choose to call it had never shown any signs of, you know, uh, being aggressive or whatever. And I sit there and finish smoking my cigarette, and I said, look, either get up or lay down one of the two, but I need, I need to get some rest, okay? Just do whatever you got to do. <laughs> now, I see, I, that's hard to believe. 
I mean, you have something on your waterbed, and you're telling it, look, either get up or lay down because I'm going to sleep. How could you do that? Well, the thing is, this, this, you know, we heard things. I sat there and played hide-and-seek with it one night. Yeah. Uh, you know, this thing, this... Well, I guess people react very differently to these things. That's well, all like I said, ever since, ever since my father had passed away and I had seen him, I have never felt as though they were bad. Now, you know, of course, I've never had knives fly through the air or, you know, wake up with my head and, you know, under a guillotine or things like that either, but... Uh, I have never really felt that that they were bad. That they were bad. You know, it's always been, you know, like, okay, well, okay you know, they're here, I'm here. Anyway, what happened? Uh, well, I felt the bed move again. I put the cigarette out, and I slept with one foot out from underneath the sheets. <laughs> and I, you know, got my nest made, and I'm laying there, you know, just going off into dreamland, and something reached down and grabbed my ankle and shook it like, okay, you know, oh my God. I'm up, but, you know, I've had the last say. <laughs> but these were things that not only I experienced, but uh, the lady that I was dating experienced, my roommate, as a matter of fact, he still lives in the house, which I've moved out of. <laughs> I have since gotten married, and um, my wife was sitting at the computer one night playing solitaire, and our... And it's still going on, let me guess. Yeah, our daughter was laying in the bed and laying in the floor. They had she had had an overnight friend come over. My wife was sitting there on the computer, playing on the computer, and uh, she kept hearing my daughter say, "We're gonna leave my foot alone." <laughs> and she thought this. You know, You've got a ghost with a foot fetish. I think that's what it is. All right, well, listen, I've got to go. But that's great. I just, I just can't imagine. I just, if I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe that. Now, I realize people react differently to different things. I've got a waterbed. It's not free flow. It's, it's baffled. But I'll tell you right now that if something jumped on, sat on, laid next to me on the waterbed, there is no way in hell that I'm going to sleep, no way I'm going to sleep, and then, and then it grabs his ankle and he's still going to sleep. I can't buy that. Even for Bubba, I can't buy that. There's just no way. There's no way an unseen force grabs your ankle on a waterbed and you're gonna you're gonna go back to sleep. I don't think so. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. How you doing, Art? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I got through. I can't believe it. This is great, man. I, I this just happened to me the other night. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Man. All right, where are you? I'm out of Paso Robles, California. All right. KPRL. What happened? Oh, man. You were talking the other night about uh, a door slamming or, you know, um, oh, no, a strange a, noise. No, no, no. Big bang on my door, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. What time was that, approximately, you think? It was 12.30, 1.30 over there in Nevada? It seems to me it was like between 12.30 and 1, but I don't remember precisely. It scared the hell you out know, of me. You know, that night... Something happened to me. I was in my shop. I like to work on rocks and jewelry and stuff, you know, uh, when I'm off in the evening. Sure. And I like listening to you once in a while. Sure. And I was listening, and you said something about that. And and all of a sudden, I heard a thump. I mean, it must have been like after midnight, because that would be hollow. hollow uh, that's, that's right. That's right. Eve. It was all hollow. That's right. And I heard this creaking, and... Uh, the lights kind of were starting to like a power surge or something. Yes. And I looked to my right, and here is this object 
that is just hanging by its neck, and its neck what? is about, stretched out about a foot long. What? Yeah. And it, well, when you say transparent, you mean like a being? It was it was hanging there, looking at me, watching me. I, I felt this. The like presence. a human or what? What is the yes, face? Yes, it was. It was she, yes, it was a um, an old man. An old man, and his yes. neck was stretched out. Yes, and I mean, I like uh, looked at him, and I said, you know. I don't mind hanging around or, or with you or whatever, but you know what? It's your pad. Uh, just leave me alone, and you can hang around all you want. All right. Well, I I find that as hard to believe as a guy who went to sleep with the with the something or another in his waterbed grabbing his ankle. If I saw a man's head stretched out, old man's head stretched out in front of me, hanging in midair. <laughs> I'm out of there. From the high desert, this is Ghost to Ghost AM. International callers may recharge in the Kingdom of Nye by first dialing their access number to the USA, then 1-800-893-0903, 1-800-893-0903, and you may fax art by calling area code 702-727-8499, that's area code 702-727-8499, please limit faxes to one or two pages. Now again, here is Art Bell. Once again, here I am. Good morning. Yes, the tradition continues into the night dark hours as we tell ghost stories. And there seem to be plenty of them out there. As I told the earlier audience, one might easily dismiss any single story or laugh it off or chuckle it off with a nervous little laugh. But collectively, <laughs> just keep listening. Now, back to our lines. I do have one thing that I feel I should read you. I have received, you know, over the last couple of days, countless communications from police officers and those kinds of people, and most of them beg me not to read them on the air because they would be identified. Here's one who will allow me at least to read it. It reads, Dear Art, I thought I'd take a second to send you a fax concerning... Several ghost sightings in our area. I am a Border Patrol agent who wishes to remain nameless, of course, as my career might be adversely affected. During the past few years, we've had the misfortune of losing two of our agents in the line of duty. In both circumstances, they died by falling off cliffs in our area here in San Diego. In these same locations, several illegal aliens have also died trying to enter the U.S. 
One night I was working in the same area where one of our agents died. It was during the middle of the night. A thick fog was beginning to cover the valley floor and moved toward my location. When the fog came and surrounded my area, a feeling of dread came over me, and I began to get very uneasy. As I was preparing to leave the area, I saw what I can only describe as several shadowy figures running through the fog, being trailed by another about 25 yards behind it. I immediately called to other officers to see if anyone was pursuing these aliens. I didn't get any answers, so I moved toward the area where I had seen these figures and began to check the area for the presence of aliens. I knew they couldn't have gone far as there were cliffs on three sides of me and I was covering the only direction out. I searched the ground, found the tracks, and followed them to the edge of the cliff. The footprints stopped at the edge and not seeing any others in any other direction, I proceeded to the bottom of the canyon expecting to find the worst. After I went to the bottom... I couldn't find any sign or presence of anyone. I believe what I saw was the spiritual remnants of those lost souls. I know that this is probably the case, as others have told me they've seen similar things. Thanks for your time, and please don't use my name on the radio. Okay, I shall not, though you did give it to me. So there you are. Another case of apparently this endless tape loop business as it regards spirits. Uh, you can easily imagine that border agents or aliens who had literally run off a cliff would experience a quick, violent, horrible death and that somehow that death would be repeated endlessly in this, this horrid little tape loop that appears to accompany some spirit presence. Quite a story, and one of just many that I get from law enforcement. First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello. Hi. Hi, I'm Connie from Redding, California. Hello, Connie. Hi. Am I on right now? You better be, or oh. we're in trouble. Okay. Well, um... I moved in with my boyfriend and uh, his grandfather as he was living with his grandfather before in the house. Mm -hmm. His grandfather died on the couch in the front room. Okay, well, I move in with my daughter at the time. She's about 11 years old. And uh, we've been here a while. And she was sleeping in the bedroom, which the door open door to it, and her bed would be, you know, where she's lying. If she sat up, she could see into the front room. Mm-hmm. And Grandpa, oh, we still had some of the furniture, you know, from them. And he had a recliner chair, and it was, and I rearranged it anyway. It was sitting to where if she sat up in bed, you could see right to it. Anyway, she had never met Grandpa, and uh, I've never met him. The next day, uh, I get up, and she says, Mom, I had a bad dream last night. And I said, you did? Well, why didn't you wake me up? And she said, well, because I sat up, and I was... And I sat up and looked up, and there was an old man in the chair, and he said, It's okay, honey. And he was from Arkansas, and he talked, It's okay, honey. Just go back to sleep. And I said, What? And I said, Joey, that's my boyfriend. I said, Come here and listen to this. Mm -hmm. 
And so she explained it to him, and Joey said, well, what, what did he look like, Jamie? And uh, she described him to a T because he wore sweat suits all the time because he had lost a leg, you know, and it was easy for him to wear, and he was old. And she described his gray sweatsuit and described his looks to a T. But she didn't feel scared of it, and, you know, we thought that was weird, but I'd never gotten scared feelings of any of this. Sure. That other guy told you earlier. Yes. And... I, I, I find that just incredible. I Well, I, I know. I don't know how to really explain it. Like, well, like that guy said, now if someone sat on the bed like that, you know. Or grabbed your ankle. Or grabbed or something. Come on, folks. That would freak me out, I'm w sure. Would you go to sleep? No. No. That's why I called him. I, I thought it was so weird, and she explained it. Well, then one night, I don't know how far in between, within the same, uh, six months or a year, um, nobody was home. I was pregnant, so I went to sleep, took a nap, and I woke up because I knew everybody was gone for the day. And I woke up, and that reclining chair, Grandpa's chair, was one of the kind where if you want it, the foot thing to come up, sure, you got to lean grab, back. Well, no, it doesn't come up by leaning back. You have to grab that wooden handle on the side of your chair. I know the type, yes. right? And it makes a noise, right? Yes. And I wake up to hearing. That, that noise, up <laughs> and then going down, yeah. up and down. Oh, no. And I thought, what? And I got up. Everything was the same. Not a, Nobody had been home. And there the chair sat. just fine. But I still, honestly, you know, I, I knew that's what I heard. I mean, wasn't dreaming. I was wide awake. But I didn't fear to have scary feelings. I just thought, that's Grandpa. All right, here's the question for you that I asked another young lady a little while ago. I thought a, a good one tonight. If you were to wake up tomorrow dead, mm -hmm. you wouldn't realize it right away. But soon, quickly, you would realize nobody sees you. Your body's lying dead on the bed. You died in your sleep. Uh, you're walking around. You're still on earth. You can see everybody else. They can't see you. You can't touch them. You can't affect them, uh, except perhaps in some minor haunting way right you know just the way we've like been the here. one you asked the lady that was a bartender yeah, that's right. uh, my question is what would you i do? was hoping you'd ask me that i was going to really? add to that yes you know what i would do is similar to what the guy did the one the lady that was the bartender story about three stories before mine right the way he moved the furniture and they all left and the next day when they came back it was put back some way of making a point but not to really scare anybody to let them know I was there. That it was you. Yeah. You know what I mean? In some kind of way, just because it would be frustrating not to be able to, you know. All right. You have then answered the $64 million question. We get so many stories about people who have done exactly that. Um, that's why I thought I would ask, because it is the logical thing that a spirit here on Earth would do. Try to find some way to assure those who are left behind who would know the signs that it's them. Yeah, just some, I mean, it didn't have to be evil or anything, just to let them know, you know, no, it's not something you're mad. No, it was, you know, that's something. I appreciate your call. Hey, you see what I mean, folks? When you reverse the question and you apply it to yourself, now you understand why we get the stories we get. Now, granted, there are other classes of very evil presence, poltergeist activity and worse. But in the majority of so-called ghost stories, 
it's dear departed ones that are leaving some sort of sign that indicates to the person receiving it beyond any shadow of a doubt that they are present. So you try and answer the question to yourself. If you literally, you know, literally woke up dead, found yourself unable to affect things in any real material way, what would you do? The answer tells you why we're getting the kinds of stories we're getting right now. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning. Good morning to you. Where are you? Uh, I'm in North Louisiana. I'm a truck driver who lives in Denham Springs. All right. Louisiana. All right, good. Um, this is kind of an ongoing story here. It started when I was uh, about 15. First started dating my wife. We lived in a, a roundhouse. Uh, the, the ceilings didn't go all the way up to the, the roof. Uh-huh. She was in my bedroom. I was in the living room. I've seen round houses. They're neat. Yeah, well, they had one on the Gulf Coast, but uh, it was a round fiberglass house. Uh-huh. And uh, she was in the bedroom, and she kept saying, you know, stop that, stop that. <laughs> and then she turned around, and when I seen her from the living room, she kind of got scared. And I said, well, what's wrong? She said, well, something was hitting me. Something kept bumping my leg. Mm-hmm. So that went on a couple times in, in that bedroom, in that house, and I told her that was just Charlie, our ghost. I named him Charlie. And uh, we got it, married. It didn't upset you that Charlie was messing with your wife's legs? No, we wasn't married yet. I see. But uh, uh, we we got married. We moved out, went into one trailer, and nothing happened. The second trailer we moved in, he came back. Hmm. Moved things around. He'd, he'd hide things, and he bumped both of us. Hmm. And then um, we moved out of that trailer. We was living in New Orleans at the time. Then we moved to where I'm at now. But didn't it occur to you that Charlie was not in one place, but rather was with you? That's what that's what we've done figured out. He must be following me. This took several moves, though, for you to right. figure it out. Okay. And uh, we're in, like I said, we're in Denham Springs now. I've been here five years. And about the last two years, he's been showed up again. So you've got Charlie back again. I got him back. i got an 11-year-old daughter now. Was this your wife's first marriage? Yes. She never had any old boyfriends named Charlie? No, we just that's just the name I picked out of the air. I don't okay. forget where I even got it from. All right. I think some TV program. But uh, I have an 11-year-old daughter now. And just I found out today, that's why I called you, is, uh, let's see, what I found out Friday. Tuesday night she was taking a bath, my daughter, and mm. something grabbed her on the shoulder and actually mm. left a mark on her shoulder. Oh, my. And uh, we told her that. You know, it must have been Charlie. That's the only thing we could figure out. And then my wife also told me last week that her and the daughter were sleeping in, the, in my bedroom because I work nights. And she woke up, and there's a nightlight in the living room that shines through the doorway. Yes. And she saw a figure there. And the dogs were in the bedroom, and uh, she woke up. Nothing said anything. The cat went running to the other room. And she said the, the figure just kind of went off. Went looking through the house and couldn't find anything. So apparently Charlie's back again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. How do you feel about this? I mean, is it something you're willing to put up with, or do you want Charlie uh, to move on? Well, he doesn't really bother us, and I kind of get a kick out of him. He's just a little annoying every now and then when he, you know, moves stuff and you can't find it. 
The only thing I'm worried about is with the scratch on my daughter's shoulder. I hope he doesn't get a little more physical like they had that one on the television program. Uh, yes, indeed. All right. Well, good luck to you. And, uh, of course, if it gets too bad, you're going to need to consult an exorcist. Now, there's a big dividing line between a little caress on the leg or a push and something that begins to leave marks. When it leaves marks, then you need to begin to think about professional assistance in the form of a priest, an exorcist, something. Uh, because uh, perhaps like uh, the a lion that gets a taste for human beings, you know, it uh, doesn't get better, it, it gets worse, and you've got to eliminate that lion before it gets to you. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't push the button there. East of the Rockies, now you're on the air. Hello. This is Joy from Wisconsin, Dells, Wisconsin. Hello, Joy. Um, my husband and I and our two little kids lived in a house, an old farmhouse. Mm. And there were so many things that happened in this house. One of them was I was sitting on the couch one night, and from out in the kitchen, a voice said, just as clear as day, Hi, Joy. Hmm. I left. I left that night. Now, see, that's sensible. I took to the kid. I I had just the little boy at the time, and we left. My husband drives truck at night, and we went to the yard and met him. And one of the other things that happened was above the stove, there's a the range hood with the light on it. Yes, oh, of course. I used to leave that on at night for a nightlight, and I turn it off in the morning, and for a month. Every night when I'd go to turn it back on, I'd have to screw the light bulb back in. <laughs> My husband, I think, thought I was nuts until he was home one night, and I had to do it. We never turned the fan on, so it somehow unloosened by itself. One other night, I was sitting in the living room, and I had emptied all the trash bags into one big garbage bag, and no windows were open, and the bag moved, and you could smell perfume. Hmm. Now, the big thing is, in January of 96, we had a fire in the house. And we called the fire department, 7.30 in the morning, got everybody out, called the fire department. Only got a few seconds left. Okay. First fireman that came out said, you're going to lose your house totally. Everything is going to be gone. We got nervous. Firemen started coming out, and they saved they saved everything. All that burned was the furnace. The furnace was a tan color in the furnace after my husband and I went down there there is a face burnt perfectly into the furnace oh my god we took god. pictures of it it looks just you can see the if eyes you, if you have photographs of that send them to me how do I get them to you alright you listen after the break and I'll give my address but I really want those photographs alright I will get them to you alright then you get a paper and a pencil and after the break I'll give my address okay okay thanks for the call a face in the furnace <laughs> we'll be right back And now, back to the best of Art Bell. A little earlier, I asked the general audience, a couple of callers, but the general audience, what would you do if you, in effect, woke up one morning dead? Single, married, wouldn't matter. Family nearby, not, wouldn't matter. You wake up 
you get up and you realize as the day wears on, nobody can see you. You're not part of what's happening anymore, only you're still there. You're dead, but you're here on Earth. What would you do? It's a very, very intriguing um, a question that leads to all kinds of conclusions about what you hear when you hear ghost stories. Well, here's another answer. Art, I would look for one of those pretty teenage girls, preferably Scandinavian or Hawaiian, and just kind of hang around with her and perhaps on occasion give her the impression that she has supernatural powers. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. This is Mike. I'm calling from L.A. I used to live up in uh, the Truckee area that's near Donner Pass where the cannibals were. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, well, you know, when you say cannibals... Uh, be kind, because, of course, they were not cannibals by choice. Right. They were nice cannibals. Well, they were cannibals without uh, any other choice. I, they, you know, we, we dealt with that one night. If you were stranded, if you were going to die, and the only choice was to eat or not eat, what would you do? Oh, I wouldn't eat people. Oh, yeah. Well, you say that now. Okay, anyway, I've got a good story. Yes. I lived up there, and I didn't believe anything. I wasn't going to call you tonight at all. I said, yeah, these, these are a bunch of hoo-ha stories. Mm. But uh, less than a year ago, it happened to me, and I heard two of your other callers, two big guys, feel something moving on their bed. Yeah, here we alone. go again. Hee-haw stories until it happens to you, huh? Exactly. Yeah. And I don't believe in any of that stuff. But uh, I was home alone. This went on over a span of about two and a half weeks, and it was during the day because I, was, I was, had taken time off work. And I wasn't when I was sleeping, and it wasn't during the dark. It was in the middle of the afternoon. Yes. And I'd be taking naps. It would be I waking up from a nap, and there was that paralysis that I've heard you guys talk about before. Yes. And the paralysis, and somebody would sit on my bed. Well, it's just me. Doors locked, windows locked, dogs outside. And this went on, and I could, if I just moved a muscle, the thing would go away, and then that was not a problem. But it culminated after about two and a half weeks, one afternoon, this is absolutely the truth, is something sits on my bed. And I was more conscious, more aware of it than ever before. And I remember the time of day, I, the sun was out, no problem. And I had just been taking a nap, and I'm wide awake. There is a woman reclining on the side of my bed on the corner. And I go, oh, I, I am in trouble now. Because I'd never seen a ghost before. I'd never, And this was for real, for real, sure. for real. No, I hear you. I jump up out of bed, shoot for the back door. I've got my hand on the deadbolt, open the deadbolt, open the door a crack, and I look back at the bed, and she's right, but she's talking to me in a man's voice. And she says, pull them out. Pull well, them knew, out? Well, I knew what she meant, even though it made no sense. And I feel with my right hand on the top of my head, and there are three nails, old rough nails, that have been pounded into the top of my head. Oh, my God. And when I look back at the bed, my body is laying in the bed. And I'm looking at her laying next to me, and I'm going, oh, geez, Louise. Well, I knew enough, and you'd actually said it about 15 minutes ago, never make a deal with the devil. Yes. And I realized, okay, I knew enough that this is some kind of demon or some kind of devil or a soldier or something. If I pull them out, then I'm acknowledging. 
if I run out of the house, then I'm not dealing with it. So I just said, hey, I've got to face this now, or uh, this is going to go on forever. And I didn't want to move. But anyway, I just looked over, and I said, I realized that moment, just in a moment of clarity, I just looked at this, this woman, and it was a woman talking like a man, which was scary. And I said, no. And I just remember walking back and laying back down into my body, and it never came again. And that ended it. Wow. But it was as real as anything. At the very least, you should have followed up with a tetanus shot. Well, I moved. But anyway, I got out of that house. If I had woke up dead, I would book a flight on 800 and then go find a psychic forensic engineer to call you and tell you what really happened. Well, that that would imply, of course, that you could uh, you could uh, travel in time as a dead person. Well, hey, you didn't say I couldn't. Uh, you're absolutely correct. I don't make the rules. Thank you very you much take for care, the call. Sir. Right. Uh, everybody else is, uh, has a hokey story, but here he wakes up with three rusty nails driven into his head and a young lady on his bed to give him instructions in a man's voice. Righto. Okay, on my international line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Hold on. Let me get rid of the echo here. Let me see if I can get rid of the echo. Uh, good afternoon. Where are you, pray tell? I'm in Taiwan. You're in Taiwan. Oh, no yes, kidding. Yes, by the name of Koshun. Koshun. Koshun, Taiwan. Uh, where is that with respect to... Uh, uh, Taipei? The... Yes. It's um, south. And what are you doing in Taiwan? Well, I came down here for a wedding. My name is Bill, and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, normally. Normally. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been traveling to the Far East for quite some time. Well, Taiwan is a beautiful place, that's for sure. Um, it is a beautiful place, and it is growing like the Far East is. I know, I know. Anyway, uh, do you perchance have a ghost story for us? A ghost story? We're telling ghosts. You see, back here it's Halloween. It is Halloween to there. Last night it was Halloween here. Uh, that, that's right. Yes, that's right. It's afternoon yeah. there. See, it is uh, Saturday evening, roughly about 4.30 in the, in the afternoon. Well, it must be that must be pretty rough because it's 12.45 uh, here, so it, it must be something 45 there. It should. That's right. Well, my clock is a little over. Yeah. No, right at the present time, I don't have a uh, Halloween story other than the fact that... Um, the people in Taiwan are a little suspicious of what's been going on in Washington. But uh, other than that, well, well that's the people in it's going to get. I understand. The people in Taiwan should worry more about what's going on in China. Well, they are because of the way the United States is um, acting with the premier that came over. Well, that, but that's right. But on the right. other hand, why it's a growing world and uh, things will work out. Well, uh, that's certainly one way of looking at it, but uh, China has Hong Kong back now, and they've got their sights clearly set on... On Taiwan. Uh, yeah, you bet they do. Uh, yep. Unfortunately, I think you're right. I, yep. I, I, Listen, I really appreciate your call. When are you coming home? I'm coming home on this next weekend. This next weekend. Well, on it's, the 9th. It's quite a flight, and from somebody who just took a 15-hour plane flight, uh, that's me from Europe, I warn you... Take every precaution on the aircraft you can not to come home and get sick. Oh, absolutely. But I, um, I, I take precautions. 
All right. Well, uh, you take care. That's uh, all the way from Taiwan. And again, let me give out the international number. If you are somewhere way out there, in Europe or in Asia or wherever, we have a toll-free line. You can call us, and it will not cost you one penny. And the way you accomplish it is you call the AT&T operator. Call your local operator and have her connect you with AT&T. And then tell the AT&T operator you want to call toll-free to the U.S. a special number, which is 800-893-0903. That's 800-893-0903, and you'll get through. East of the Rockies, you are on the air. Hello, Art. Hello. Uh, my story takes place outside in the woods. Uh, I was coon hunting one fall night, and... Uh, I was, you know, down in Pennsylvania, you know, where the hills and stuff are. And Is that where you are now, PA? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Fredonia, to be exact. And uh, my dogs were running up a hill, you know, and they stopped, you know. You know, and they were chasing a coon. And uh, I'm way behind them, and I get up to there, and there's this strange glowing. So I, I was wondering what right. it was. Right. So me being brave and all, I walk up the hill, you know, and there are six figures, looked like figures, and they were all, like, Real low, low, hardly could hear it, like chanting. And to me, they looked so real that I asked them what they were doing. And they turned, they didn't, they just turned to me and looked at me. So, you know, I was really gun ho, and I said, you know, I told them to leave, you know, since they were on my property. And, uh, they didn't, they didn't even move. Like, you know, they were looking at me, but, like, looking through me, like, you know. <laughs> so the dogs, they ran down the hill because they were, I don't know what they were seeing, but, uh, I was getting kind of ticked off, so I let off around in the air, you know, and that didn't even phase them, you know. A normal person would be running, you know, if someone was shooting. So I told him, I said, I told him one more time to leave or I'll shoot. So I took and aimed at one, shot him, and after that, they disappeared. I mean, like, whew, it really freaked me out. Just like gone, huh? Just like, like, gone, like, whew. it was, uh, I don't go hunting anymore in the night. I hear that. I, I I very much appreciate your call, sir. Okay, thank you. Thank you, and uh, take care. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Tom from Sault Ste. Marie. Yes, sir. I uh, just discovered your show about a week ago. It's very good. I like listening to it every night. Thank you. And um, well, my story starts in Flint, Michigan. Uh-huh. Um, worked at a place called the Capitol Theater. The old theater had a balcony covered over an orchestra pit. Right. And they ran a bar in the lobby. And it was known to be haunted. Um, in fact, there was one person that, I didn't believe it, but you know, everybody told me that there was three ghosts that haunted the place. And supposedly it was built by the Masons several years ago. And um, a lot of the architecture seemed to add up to sixes and threes. So it kind of had an eerie place to begin with. The poor Masons. The Masons have everything leveled at them. Now ghosts. Well, that, that's what they say. I don't know a lot about the Masons, except that my, both my uncle and grandpa are, but I, my uncle just died, and I haven't had much chance to talk about it with my grandpa. Mm-hmm. But um, we used to play uh, laser tag in the theater part. It was mostly, uh, you know, closed down. Right. And um, we'd actually play through the whole area, and the lobby area was somewhat lit up. This is after hours after the bar had closed. This is all the bouncing staff. 
And I'd seen the one guy, he kind of protected the place. Yes. Um, you'd catch him out of the corner of the eye, and everybody said it was a guy that used to work there, and his whole place was night security. And um, you would catch him every once in a while, you could see him around. Um, so that kind of got me interested, and I thought, well, you know, maybe there is something to ghosts. And uh, next, uh, while we were playing laser tag, I walked into the dark area, and I could feel something, like, right behind me. Yes. I thought, okay, you know, one of the other guys are stalking me from behind. Sure. And, um, well, I was kind of hiding my lights on my laser tag so he couldn't see me very well. And I could hear footsteps, and I could feel breathing. Mm. I stopped, and it stopped. I was like, okay, he's right close. I looked around, I didn't see his light. I was like, well, he's got to be in here. I started walking again. I could hear the footsteps, and then the breathing over my shoulder again. Now I'm getting a little spooky because I can't tell anybody, so I stopped real quick, thought the person would run into me. Yep. Nope, nothing hit me. Except it all stopped again. So I thought, okay, I'm getting a little scared now. And I uh, had a flashlight with me, but the rules of the game was you don't use it unless you're caught in a bad situation. Yes. Um, didn't want to do that. And uh, I started walking again, and the this dark eeriness just kept getting worse and worse. And it seemed like the actual darkness of the room was getting darker. Mm-hmm. And um, I look over towards the balcony, I thought I saw somebody's light. So I pulled my gun out and shot at it and never got a return like a hit noise. Yes. And uh, I thought, okay, well, if somebody's in here, they'll shoot at me. So I just held my gun up to be shot at, you know, so they could see the light. Right. Nobody shot. And so now I'm really scared. So I turned my flashlight on and shined it up towards the balcony where I saw the light. And? And it was uh, a guy smoking a cigarette. And he, he... proceeded to tumble off the balcony onto the main floor. Oh, my. And then just disappeared. Disappeared? Disappeared. Fell and disappeared. Fell and disappeared. So I'm really freaked out now. And uh, I ran back into the lobby part and tried to find some of my friends. Found them, and they said, oh, you've met the uh, usher. The usher. Uh, The usher had supposedly died in the building, Mm -hmm. and uh, he'd either fallen off or been thrown off. It was never really decided. (laughs) Huh. Um, and he tumbled over the balcony in that way in the years past. I see. And so there we have yet again, folks, another repeating tape loop type entity presence. How can you listen to all of this and doubt? Hmm? Do you think we remain? Do you think we come back again and again and again? I was a highwayman. Along the coach roads I did ride. Sword and pistol by my side. Many a young maid lost her baubles to my trade. Many a soldier shed his lifeblood on my blade. The masters hung me in the spring of '25, but I am still alive. I was a sailor. I was born upon the tide With the sea I did abide I sailed a schooner around the Horn of Mexico I went aloft to furl the mainsail in a blow And when the yards broke off they said that I got killed But I'm living still
to reach Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from east of the Rockies, dial 1-800-825-5033. That's 1-800-825-5033. From west of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, call Art at 1-800-618-8255. That's 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers, dial Art at area code 702. 727-1222. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now again, here's Art. The following is from the Electronic Telegraph. It is UK, United Kingdom News. And I'm going to read this to you. It says, Patients near death see visions of hell. By Robert Matthews, science correspondent. Terrifying accounts of gravely ill people who claim to have been dragged to the very gates of hell by demons are now to be studied scientifically for the first time by a British psychologist. The existence of so-called near-death experiences, or NDEs, in which dying people report having mystical sensations before being resuscitated, is now widely accepted by doctors and scientists. Their cause is unknown, but they typically involve the feeling of deep peace, followed by a sensation of floating up through a tunnel toward a bright light and into a beautiful kingdom. But it is now becoming clear that for some people, NDEs are very far from blissful. Instead, a feeling of floating upwards, they report being pulled down toward a pit inhabited by demons. So there you go, folks. Uh, I've been waiting for this one, and typically, when you talk to somebody who has had an NDE, nearly always they will tell you, oh, there's no bad experiences, and you will ask NDE uh, researchers, well, have you, ever, have you ever heard of anybody going anyplace not so pleasant? And sometimes they will... I mean, very occasionally they say, well, I've heard some rumors or a couple of reports of that kind of thing, but basically no. And I always felt that that was more or less baloney. And this story confirms that fact. There are many, apparently. Now, obviously, people don't talk about that. I mean, if you had an NDE and you went down instead of up, you might do a lot of internalizing about it. You might change your lifestyle. You might do a lot of things. But one thing you probably wouldn't do is tell the story publicly. Well, I had an NDE, only I went to hell. No, you wouldn't talk about it. And I always thought there would be a bunch of those because there are a bunch of not-so-nice people around. But they just don't tell stories. Here's proof that I was right. West of the Rockies, you are on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. Um, this is Terry in Colorado Springs. How you doing? Good. Um, I have a ghost story. It's not a scary story, but it's a ghost story. All right. Um, my mother died in March of 96, and my first, the birthday afterwards of mine, you know, I was real sad that, you know, she wasn't going to be around, and um, she always made a point of calling her kids on their birthday. Even if she had to track them down at work, she always called. Right. And uh, 
So the night before my birthday, I was kind of sad, and I was like, come on, Mom, just something. Show me that you're still around. And um, the next day, I, you know, went about my day and, you know, wasn't thinking a whole lot about it. And I went to a bookstore, and I was looking through the used books. And um, there was a book there that I had been wanting for quite a while, for like $5. And I thought, oh, how neat. And went to another section and found another book that I wanted, very cheap. And uh, bought them, and off I went to my sister's house. And I'm thumbing through this book. And something flies out of it, you know, like a paper or something. Right. And um, I reach down and I pick it up off the floor and I turn it over and it's a photograph, an old photograph, um, black and white, of this uh, little girl, about five, and this man sitting there with a guitar on his lap. Right. Just like my mother's relatives, you know. Um, and I turned it over and on the back it said... Uh, Mary and Willie, October 1955, and October 1955 was the month and year of my birth. And um, I just thought it was her way of telling me that, yeah, I am still around. And uh-huh, that's incredible. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, and also the names was Mary, which is pretty close to Terry. Uh huh. And Willie, and my grand, my mother's father's name was William. Now. Had that actually been a picture of either you or your mother at a young age, that would be fall over on the floor. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be be able to tell you about it. I'd be Uh, dead. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate the story. Thank you. you. Thank you. Say, Carrie. Oh, yes, that's, that's pretty good. Give me a sign. How many of you have ever asked for a sign, you know, from up there or even down there and received one? I've talked to quite a few people already who appear to have. Uh, So this, of course, would come under the category of being careful uh, what you wish for. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi, Art. Um, This story starts when I'm about four years old. My father had taken me to visit my grandfather who lived in the woods. Um, My aunt, who was young then, was home from college visiting. And my grandfather lived in a two-story clapboard house, hand-built, uh, there was an old uh, wood stove in the kitchen. There was only two rooms in the first floor, a kitchen and a uh, uh, living room, and in the living room was a coal stove. And I can remember that was the first basic recollection I have of my, my dad's dad and my aunt. And uh, she was home from college. She had a pair of shoe skates, and uh, they thought it would be really kind of neat to put those on me, and being four years old, push me around and such. And sure. I didn't know what they were doing. They were putting them on, and I started to cry, and it got kind of turned ugly at that point, and you, they just looked at me and said, well, look, put him down, let him sit on the couch right here, and uh, we'll go outside, and when he calms down, we'll come back in and push him around. So they walked outside, and I was sitting there sobbing, you know how a little kid just kind of <gasps> to yourself a little bit there, and uh, now my grandfather's house, the ceiling was about seven feet high in this old home, and there was the old paper, wallpaper stripes and flowers and things, and he had an old... Um, closet that really didn't have a door but a curtain on it and as i was sitting there trying to get these skates off this curtain opened and an old woman walked out (laughs) and she was dressed very nicely she had her hair up in the buns on the side of each of her head she had a little brooch on her i had no idea who this woman was she came up and she never said a word to me she smiled at me and she helped me off with the skates and she put my shoes on and tied them and uh, she tickled me under the chin and made a cooing sound. And, you know, I can't tell you how long this all lasted. 
But I can remember hearing my dad and saying, well, he sounds like he's quieted down. Let's go back inside. Well, at that point, the old woman walked back towards the closet, pulled the curtain up, walked in, and before she let it fall, she looked at me, smiled, and let it go. Boy, I was over there in a flash. <laughs> Opened it up, and there was nothing in there, just nothing. My grandpa had a couple of suits and things, and, and that was it. Well, they came in and said, hey, how did you get the skates off? And I started crying again, and I said, this lady came out, and I described who it was, and my grandfather said, it's grandma. And I said, no, it's not, because the only grandma I knew was my mom's mom. Sure. And so they got very quiet and let it go. And I can remember as I was growing, as, as I grew older, I would come to the house and always go to that closet. At 13 years of age, I was upstairs. This, this had all gone by. My dad was going through uh, his cedar chest. Pulled out an old army picture, and I was eating the ice cream cone, I can remember, and I just about dropped it. He opened it up, and this... There he was in his army uniform, World War II, and he had his hands standing up behind this man and this woman. Well, I recognized him. I recognized my grandpa. Oh, boy. And the woman. And there she was. There she was. Now, the story was completed the day before I was married. Uh, all my relatives were visiting at the house, and uh, my aunt from Wisconsin, I told her this exact same story. And she said, do you know why? She didn't say anything. And I said, no. She said, she had a lot of grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And she said she couldn't make any sound because she was dying at that point, and cancer had taken her throat. Oh, the only thing she could do was tickle her children, and she couldn't stand to hear her grandchildren cry. Oh, boy. All she could do was tickle them under the chin and make a cooing sound. <laughs> and that... Now, see, that story bothers me for a lot of reasons. Uh, thank you, and I'll, I'll tell you why. In my own mind, and we discussed this with Brad the other night, Brad Steiger, in some uh, detail, I prefer to think of ghosts or spirits as a sort of weak shadows of their former selves, not really the spirit, not really the soul of the dearly departed, but rather sort of an echo that repeats perhaps, perhaps endlessly but is not really a trapped soul on earth. But what that man just described, and what many others have described, is proactive in the sense that it's not a tape loop, and it would indicate that souls really do remain on earth in some cases. And in a lot of ways, no matter how interesting you think it might be, to be trapped on earth eternally, able to roam, able to do what you want, might temporarily sound kind of neat, but in, in fact it would be a living hell. So I don't want really to think that, that uh, spirits, souls, are trapped here on earth. Why? Because, of course, I could become one of them. So could you. So as you listen to these ghost stories, uh, the easier ones are the ones that uh, sort of would show a repetitive action, like from the Border Patrol officer that I, I read earlier. Not the ones like the one you just heard. A wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello there. Hi. Uh, hello. Hi. Uh, yes, hello. Oh, you're talking to me. Yes, I am. Oh, terrific. I just heard a slight beep, and that was it. I heard a beep, too. Where, where are you? I'm calling from uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, BC, all right. Yeah, on oh, fun. Anyways, great show. Um, I like that last story because I like to pref to think that um, spirits are wherever, heaven, whatever, but they can transcend whatever 
time. You, you mean know, come, come back down? Sure, yeah. Uh, transition well, from there to here. Right. That would be all right. It's, that would be better to it, think of. It's getting stuck here that I'm, I'm concerned right. about. That's right. Yeah, who wouldn't? That would be awful. Um, <clears throat> I've got two ghost stories. My first one. Uh, I, can, I can only allow one. Your That's best, fine, yeah. All right, I can shorten story. this one. All right. Uh, my brother and I both saw it. I was about four or five. My brother's three and a half old, years older than me. We uh, came to town, Vancouver here. We weren't living here. And uh, to visit our, uh, I guess, godparents. And uh, we'd been watching TV uh, upstairs in the house. Uh, our parents and their parents, uh, like they have kids, were uh, playing Kanaska in the kitchen. And at that time, 10 o'clock came around. Uh, all the good shows were over and all the news came on. So mm-hmm. kids weren't interested in that. We decided to go see what our cousin was doing. We called him cousins downstairs. He had a... A bedroom in the basement, it was an unfinished basement, basically just a, a rectangle of the house with just two walls built into the corner to make his room. The rest of it was bare open uh, basement. So we go through the kitchen where the parents were playing and uh, had to go down these steps to go down the basement. And uh, we go past them and down the steps. We get halfway down. We look across to where his room is. And there's a ghost, the white shadowy type that you can see through, you know, transparent and all oh, that. Yes. Just like Ghostbusters. And he's... uh He's spying on our cousin. He, we could see through him. He's a young guy, I'd say now, because I'm thinking about it, in his late, late 20s. Do you, in, think he knew, do you think he knew that you could see him? No, this is, this is how, why it gets good, exactly. This, there's more to this. So, so we see a ghost. We can see he's wearing a suit. He's got you know, a loose style, like old-style suit, you know, like the sure. 40s or whatever. Sure. Um, and he's peering around a, a door frame, the door frame of entering into the room as if, you know, he didn't want to be seen, right? Yeah. Peeking around like a human would. Sure. You could see the door frame through him. You know, it's just like Ghostbusters. You see details, but it's all white. You yes. Know? But you can see shades of white, right? To differentiate different things. And we could also see part of a dartboard that his left shoulder was covering uh, through him, too. And instantly, I, I was the first one down the steps. I turned to go up the steps. My brother's looking at me now, and we both yelled, Ghost, at the same time, right? <laughs> And this thing swung around. We surprised it. And we look back at the ghost. He swings around now, and he's looking right at us with his big, wide eyes like we scared it, right? Yeah, that's a twist on that. Yeah. And then, so anyways, then he just turns to the very end of the house. He was at one end, and at the other end was a, a swinging door that went out to a mushroom room that my godparents grew mushrooms, and then out to the backyard into the back alley. Another door went out that way. He just ran for that door, and he just crossed this house in half a second he went so fast you could see a blur of legs and arms as he was running he left a white streak as tall as he was right from where he started to where he went out this door and the door didn't he didn't go through it it swung open real quick and shut you know like and that was it he was gone <laughs> and we were just about to turn to go back up the steps and our parents are already at the top of the steps looking down at us like what's going on and we told them the story and we went out to the backyard checked out i guess they assumed it was a burglar that we saw right sure and there was nothing so that was it. That scared the. <laughs> it didn't scare us. We were pretty calm about it. It was like, wow, neat. After you know, five minutes after it happened, right? Well, it is the first instance I've ever heard of human scaring ghosts, and I like it. It is possible. Who knows what makes a ghost visible? And it is kind of nice to think that occasionally, uh, without their knowledge, they become visible, doing their usually invisible snooping, and we catch them if you uh, if you can see my studio cam I've, I've got this really cool on the island of Rhodes when we were there Ramona found this really neat 
I don't know what it is. It's like a tube with a hand on it. I guess it's basically a back scratcher, although the hand looks a little eerie. And when you turn the tube over, it makes a weird sound. Hear that? And I was having more fun with this thing on the cruise. Because it makes such a, an obscene little sound. And I will hold this up so that, uh, so that you can see it on the studio cam. Ah, <laughs> uh, strange. All right, West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Art. I'm glad I got through. Uh, first of all, do you believe that dogs can see ghosts? I have a feeling that dogs and cats and animals in general see things that we don't, that move among us. Now, are they ghosts? Yes, maybe. But there's something that they see that we don't. It's obvious. If you watch their behavior, you can tell when they see them. Well, exactly. And we're having that problem in our house right now. Oh. And, well, last uh, December, my wife's ex-husband was killed in a really bad car wreck and ever since then we've had uh, a lot of odd things happening such as our little dog barking at the air and growling well dogs sometimes bark at the air but rarely growl now growl indicates presence of something they don't like <laughs> and the other night i was laying upstairs next to my wife yes and i felt a tap on my shoulder and I looked up, and at the end of my bed, there was a big, dark entity there. Uh-huh. And this entity was trying to pull, it seemed to pull my soul out of my body. And it pulled your soul? It was trying to pull my soul out. Listen, can can you hold on? Yeah. Uh, during the break? All right, uh, fine. I'm going to leave you right there. And I keep getting requests to play this, so I shall. This, of course... It's been a is Crystal Gale. With no peace of mind And I'm ready for the time To get better It's pretty easy on the ears. Good morning. Back to the best of Art Bell. You are back on the air, sir. Yes, sir. And another thing, it, this has uh, let me reevaluate my whole entire life. I thought I was a, a decent guy, and after this has happened, it has scared the hell out of me. And I'm kind of thinking where I'm going to go after I do. Um, maybe, maybe it scared you out of hell, actually. 
Well, <laughs> it, it seriously scared me very bad. And at the same time, we are taking care of his two children that he left behind. One was born after he had died. Well, there you are. And um, it, it sort of bolsters, thank you, uh, the story that I read about the study they are conducting in England. I just, I knew it. I mean, I, I've interviewed so many NDE researchers and almost universally they will say oh no uh you know you these are just rumors you barely ever hear a report of anybody going to hell i knew that was wrong i knew it was wrong i feel it is wrong deep down inside of me i know it's wrong if there's god if there's heaven if there's good then there is the uh the opposite antithesis of that and there is a hell and it's about time somebody really began to study that phenomena uh, as they study the other ones so obviously that study is now uh, underway and now back to the best of Art Bell First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Oh, good morning. How are you doing, Art? All right. Hey, I finally bought your book, The Quickening. Congratulations. Upon arrival back home from uh, work, I had to get some milk and candy from for Halloween, so I set the book on the porch table. When I got home, it was gone. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, I live alone. The next day, I overheard a neighbor telling another neighbor if he'd heard of Art Bell. Damn jerk. <laughs> but, uh, so he's, he, he took your book. I think he did, and I'm bent on revenge now. But well, I, I got a story here for you. All right. My story happened in Canyon City, Colorado. I was going to school at a religious school. Yes. Uh, and every weekend I'd, I'd go to this nativity shop a couple miles down the road for this, uh, you know, to, just for uh, something to do for the yes. sake of diversity. One day in particular, I. I passed a farm that had a flock of sheep, and all the little buggers were kind of cool. I'd never seen sheep before outside the realm of TV. So I observed a, a sheep was standing in the corner of the fenced-in area. Have you, are, are you a city boy? Uh, yeah, I am. Must be. <laughs> uh, and I observed a sheep standing in the corner of the fenced-in area still as a statue while the entirety of the other part of the flock was stuffing their face in a typical sheep-like manner. Sure. A couple of days later, I saw... Same thing, flocked together, munching, strange statue-like sheep on the other side of the field, not eating. So the next week, the same thing, but this time that rancher was there. So I asked him, you know, uh, why the statue-like sheep was so weird. Did someone clock in the head or something? Hmm. Uh, it's, it's the darndest sheep, he said. Uh, that sheep won't eat in the daytime, only at night. I said, bizarre. He said, you can say that again. It's so uh scared of others. It's also scared of other sheep, but product is product, and that's what counts. I said, that's... That's for sure. So that one night I was coming back from the par uh, party, and I was walking uh, by, and I could see a lone sheep, that the lone sheep eating or chewing in the moonlight. All the other sheep, needless to say, were sleeping, but I couldn't see the sheep put its head down to pull up grass or hay. You know, what, what's going on here? It was kind of really, it was weird. You mean it was eating in midair? Yeah, it was no. eating in midair. It was totally bizarre. I couldn't understand it. So one one evening I had just purchased some night vision goggles on the back black market for a tidy price, tidy in the sense that it was cheap. I thought I'd walk uh, by the sheep again that night. Take I looked look. through my goggles. 
uh, as I was approaching the sheep to test them out, since it was absolutely dark and there was no moonlight that night to speak of, yes. looking through the night vision goggles, I had, I had to check my goggles thinking they might be lemons because of what I was seeing. I tried again, and there it was again. The sheep was stretching out its neck, standing on its hind legs. There, to my absolute amazement, was this neon green image of an upside-down man holding his hand high, apparently hand-feeding the sheep. And around him were other people walking upside-down with an occasional neon image of what looked like dogs. Wow! Yeah, yeah, this is totally bizarre. I sat there and tried to keep my composure for several minutes until I couldn't help myself. I picked up a rock and threw it at the neon image of the upside-down man feeding the sheep. The rock hit the sheep instead that he was feeding. And the upside-down man stopped abruptly, looked over my way, apparently spotting me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 he, he, he made some hand gestures to the others that were walking around him, and they all disappeared. Uh-oh. When I took the goggles down to start running, I saw several baseball-sized red dots coming at me. I ran as fast as my feet could carry me, somehow lost them hiding in the combine. I stayed there for about three hours. Uh, with an occasional red dot passing by. After uh, about three hours, I, I got out of the combine and ran, like you would not believe, back ah. to my dorm in ah. complete terror. Of course. Moral of this story, never throw stones at ghosts. And it's true, too, Art. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the story, sir. Thank you. What, what a remarkable story. And so the sheep, only eating at night, fed by spirits... Up on its hind legs, reaching as its... Oh, man, what a story. <laughs> that was great. Wild Card Line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello? Hello. Hi, Art. Hi. I have a ghost story from the journal of my great-grandfather. All right. Which I thought you might find interesting. He was a leader in the early Mormon church in Missouri before they even went out to Utah. Yes. And uh, he said that he was riding a horse... About a hundred yards in front of a group of other men, they were together. But he had just gotten out in front of them, and he was about six feet tall. Um, he figured on his full-size horse, his head was about nine to ten feet off the ground. I would imagine, sure. And uh, that's significant because just what happened next is this man or this creature approached him out of the bushes and walked up to him. And this creature or this man—it was a man who was covered from head to toe in hair. And when he walked up to them, they were eyeball to eyeball. And this thing was standing on the ground. And this creature identified himself as Cain of Cain and Abel mm. and said that he was had been condemned to walk the earth in misery. He was searching for death as a relief from his misery, but he could not find it. And... Uh, the men behind him saw that he was talking to someone, but they couldn't see who it was. They were, about, like I say, 100 yards behind him. And after a short conversation, he just left and wandered away, and he said his impressions were this is the most miserable creature he'd ever met, the most unhappy, the saddest, and the biggest. <laughs> and when I read that, you know, it often made me wonder if that is an uh, ex- explanation for some of the Bigfoot sightings because the description matches and also the behavior. Bigfoot is huge, but is never threatening to anyone, at least in any of the stories I've heard. Is there any way you could uh, copy that journal and send me a copy? Uh, yeah, I could do that. All right, then listen on the air. And this goes for an earlier caller, which I, I didn't uh, manage to get my address out for. Uh, you recall the picture of the face in the oven? 
Well, hopefully you're still poised with your pencil and paper. And for you, sir, my address, uh, particularly for any unusual photographs or copies of uh, very ancient journals, like the one we just heard about, fire it off to me, Art Bell, A-R-T-B-E-L-L, -L, just like the one that rings. Uh, the address is P.O. Box 475. Forty-seven fifty-five, uh, in a town called Pahrump. Not to laugh, as I spell it. That's P as in Paul, A H R U M P, Pahrump, Nevada. And the zip code here, uh, the uh, short way to do Nevada is N V, and the zip code would be eight nine zero four one. Dash four seven five five. You know, the last thing that you would want to see in a furnace would be a face literally burned into the furnace uh, wall, a human face. <laughs> East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Where are you, please? Uh, I'm in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Bridgeport. All right, good. Welcome. And uh, I wanted to tell you a different kind of ghost story. It's all right. I think I know a little bit about the fact that I'm eventually going to be a ghost. You're going to be a ghost? Yes. I'm, I'm growing up to be a ghost. Oh, you're quite right. This is a new twist. What, <clears throat> what makes you think that? Well... Uh, I'm going to try to uh, keep this very tight here. Uh, I am a ham radio operator, and, of course, I know you are. Yes. And as you know, <clears throat> we have each of us a call sign. Correct. It's like a telephone number. It's got letters and numbers. Right. It is unique. There is none, none other to match it in the world, like right. fingerprint, yes. Exactly. Now, one of the things that, oh, probably every ham, goes through every ham's mind at some point is that somebody might, and they always call it bootlegging. Somebody might bootleg his call sign. Sure. He might use it. Right. Somebody might, else might use it to make... Uh, particularly in a way the FCC would frown upon. That's right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I come home from work every day, and I go to lie down on my day bed here, take a nap, and er almost every day I would dream that I was down in my basement at my bench with my ham stuff, and somebody's on there using my call sign. Huh. And in the dream, I'd feel, you know, this time it's not a dream. This time it's really happening. But about two minutes later, I'd wake up, and there I'd be on the bed, knowing darn well that it hadn't happened. Right. Well, one day I was talking to a fellow about this over the air as it happened, and I said, I told him about it, and he said, oh, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's a psychoanalytical thing. You You think you're... You're losing your identity or you feel threatened. Somebody's going to be you or something like that. Yes. And a curbstone analysis. And all of a sudden, this insight came to me, and I said, I interrupted him. I said, Bob, that's not it. I'll tell you what it is. In my dream, I'm dead, and I'm wherever dead people are, quote, dead, unquote, and I'm wherever dead people are, and I'm listening to this. I'm hearing a guy using my call sign because it's been reissued 
<laughs> That's right. how that happened. Now, years after, I forget how long it is, but uh, shortly after your death, a year or two or five or whatever, they're able then to reissue your call, yes? Yeah, and that's uh, just like, it's like giving somebody a telephone number again, God, as you, as you know. Well, you know, from that time on, I never had that dream again. Uh-oh. Ever. In other words, in other words that realization uh -huh. stopped the dream, which means it's true, which means it's really going to happen, which means you will be a ghost. You got it. <sighs> Great. Well, 73s. Okay. <laughs> 73 to you. <laughs> See you later. Uh, there's a horrid little ham story for you. He's right. That's a terrifying thought. And that the dream ceased probably means it was resolved, which means it's going to happen, which means he's going to be a ghost. Ah, but all good hams go to heaven. Well, except for a few of them on 40 meters. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hello? Hello there. I'm actually on the air, huh? Uh, you're actually on the air, yes. <laughs> well, hello. My name's Anita. Anita. And I'm from Sacramento, California. All right. And you're... Oh, you know, I was on the air in Sacramento earlier today. Were you really? Yes, I was. Wonderful. You, um, you know, you're talking about ghost stories, right? Oh, Yes. And I was coming home from a Halloween party, and I love listening to your show. And I just had to, I had to call because there was, it's not a scary story, but it's a really special story. Okay. And um, what it was is that I'm single, and I can't have children. And there was an adoption that I was trying to um, go through, a private adoption, and it was really a scary procedure because the girl kept going, you know, one month yes, one month no, you know, and so it was just very difficult, and I had really uh, been pondering and wondering, well, should I go through with this or not? And um, and I was laying on my sofa one night, I'd fallen asleep, and and I had, um, you know, I was, I kind of had woken up a little bit. I wasn't really, I was in that daze, you know, that in and out kind of sleep. Sure. And um, it was really strange because I had drifted off again, and I hadn't really, I hadn't really been thinking about this too, you know, too much that night or anything. So it wasn't like I went to, I fell asleep with this on my mind, and it was the most incredible feeling. Um, I woke up to a, a little girl kissing my cheek. Really? Yes, and it was just, it was such a physical thing. I could see her. And she had long, pretty long blonde hair, and it was the most loving. It just enveloped my whole body, and it was like, this is my daughter, and she was just wanting to let me know that she loved me and that she appreciated me wanting her so much. And I didn't know whether it was the little girl that I was trying to adopt or this is a, a little girl that is waiting for me. And it just, it, it was just an incredible from head to toe feeling of absolute sure. love. Any resolution? Any any resolution to it yet? No, not to that. Um, I, unfortunately, that adoption didn't go through. But I'll tell you something: if it if it was that baby, then she knew how much I had been working towards trying to get her, and how much I loved her and wanted her. And it was either a thank you, or it was 
it was like I said before. Either that or uh, it was a premonition. Now, when you finally end up adopting, which I bet you will. Well, someday I hope so, yeah. Yes. Uh, if if it happens to be the spitting image. <laughs> of that little girl. Uh, then I'm going to want to get a return call. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> you betcha. And you know what else? What else? I have, um, I've been looking for that. Uh, have you ever heard of the cremation of Sam McGee? You know I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a copy of that, so if you want me to tell the, that... That's the Alaskan story, right? Yes. <laughs> um, do you know, uh, that story was told to us when we were in Alaska about two or three months ago. Oh, are you serious? Oh, yes, I'm serious. It's a widely told story in yes, Alaska. Do you think you can tell it uh, fairly quickly? Oh, yes. I have it right here if you want me to repeat it on this Halloween. Oh, yes, go ahead. Okay, um... That's me. Do you want to put me on hold or anything? No, no, no I want oh, you to gosh. do it. Got to do it. Okay, okay. I am. Here it is. All right. Let me get on this sofa. Call the wild card lines, area 702-727-1295. Now you're hitting touchstones. You can't do that. Oh, no, no, no. I accident. <laughs> I, I understand. Okay. It's called um, The Cremation of Sam McGee. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tales that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they ever did see was the night on the marge of Lake Labarge I cremated Sam McGee. Now, Sam McGee was from Tennessee where the cotton blooms and blows, where he left his home in the south to roam around the pole God only knows. He was always cold, but the land of gold seemed to hold him like a spell, though he'd often say in his homely way that he'd sooner live in hell. On a Christmas day, we were mushing our way over the Dawson Trail. Talk of your cold through the parka's fold, it stabbed like a driven nail. If our eyes were, would close, then the lashes froze, so sometimes we couldn't see. It wasn't much fun, but the only one to whimper was Sam McGee. And that very night, as we lay packed tight in our robes beneath the snow, and the dogs were fed, the stars are ahead, were dancing hill and toe. He turned to me, and Cappy says, I'll cash in this trip, I guess. And if I do, I'm asking that you won't refuse my last request. Well, he seemed so low that I couldn't say no. Then he says with a sort of a moan, It's a cursed cold, and it's got right hold till I'm chilled clean through to the bone. Yet taint being dead, it's my awful dread of the icy grave that pains. So I want you to swear that, foul or fair, you'll cremate my last remains. A pal slash need is a thing to heed, so I swore that I would not fail. And we started on at the streak of dawn, but God, he's ghastly pale. He crouched, on the, he crouched on the sleigh, and he raved all day of his home in Tennessee. And before nightfall, a corpse was all that was left to Sam McGee. There wasn't a breath in that land of death, and I hurried horror-driven with a corpse half hid that I couldn't get rid because of a promise given. It was lashed to a sleigh, and it seemed to say, You may tax your brain and brands, bronze, but you promised true, and it's up to you to cremate those last remains. Now, I promise made is a debt unpaid, and the trail has its own stern code. In the days to come, through my lips were dumb. In my heart, how I cursed that load. In the long, long night, by the lone firelight, while the huskies round in a ring, Held out their woes to the homeless nose. Oh, God, how I loathed that thing. And every day that quiet clay seemed to heavy and heavier grow. 
and on I went through the dogs were spent and the grub was getting low. The trail was bad and I felt half mad, but I swore I would not give in and I'd get, and I'd often sing to that hateful thing and it hearkened with a grin. So I came to the Mars of Lake Labarge and the derelict there lay. It was jammed in the ice, but I saw in it twice. It was called the Alice May. And I looked at it and I thought a bit and I looked at my frozen chum. Then here, said I, with a sudden cry, is my crematorium. Some planks I tore from the cabin floor and I lit that broiler fire. Some coal I found that was lying around and heaped that fuel up higher. The flames just soared and the furnace roared, such a blaze you seldom see. And I burrowed a hole in the glowing coal and I stuffed in Sam McGee. Then I made a hike for I didn't like to hear him sizzle so. And the heavens scowled and the huskies howled and the wind began to blow. It was icy cold, but the hot sweat rolled down my cheeks, and I don't know why. Hold it right there. That's area code 702-727-8499. Please limit faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. It is, and we are now going to go back, and we are going to hear the remains, so to speak, of the cremation of Sam McGee. A promise made is a promise that must be kept. And here was this fellow lugging the remains of Sam McGee until finally, in the cold and the wind-whipped cold of the Alaska tundra, he found a location where he could cremate, as promised, the remains of Sam McGee, who was terrified of being cold, even in death. And so I suggest we pick up uh, the... Sam McGee saga uh, at about the crackling point as he was being <laughs> as he was being cremated. So pick it up there. Okay. Then I made a hike for I didn't like to hear him sizzle so, and the heavens scowled and the huskies howled and the wind began to blow. It was icy cold, but the hot sweat rolled down my cheeks and I don't know why. And the greasy smoke in an inky cloak went streaking down the sky. I do not know how long in the snow I wrestled with grisly fear. But the stars came out and they danced about. Ere again I ventured near. I was sick with dread, but I bravely said, I'll just take a peek inside. I guess he's cooked and it's time I looked. Then the door I opened wide. And there sat Sam looking cool and calm in the heat of the furnace roar. And he wore a smile. You could see a mile. And he said, please close that door. It's fine in here, but I greatly fear that you let in the cold and storm. Since I left Plum Tree in Tennessee, it's the first time I've been warm. There are strange things done in the midnight sun by the men who moil for gold. The Arctic trails have their secret tells that would make your blood run cold. The northern lights have seen queer sights, but the queerest they've ever did see was the night on the marsh of Lake Labarge. 
I cremated Sam McGee. I thank you for that, my dear. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> they told us that when we were in Alaska. It's a fine tale indeed, and uh, might be true. Back now to our ghost stories and our callers. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. All right. Where are you? I'm in Kentucky. All right. Turn your radio off there in Kentucky and... I'm uh, leaving the room. Is that okay? Well, uh, I guess it's an option. Sure. All right. So anyway, what have you for us? Well, uh, I was hoping you can help me with something. When I was 17, right before I went in the military... Uh-huh. I went to visit my grandfather, say goodbye, and I was asleep in my uncle's room. And it was pitch black because he's on the mountainside and he had windows boarded up from the rocks sliding down through it. And I woke up tingling all over. Had a tingling sensation. Yes. And uh, it woke me up, and I noticed something at the foot of my bed. What? Well, I, at first I thought it was a coat hanging on the coat tree there, and, and the more I looked, the clearer it got, and it was a person, and it was white, and the robe it had hung just like drapes hang. Yes. And I started making out the hair, and I couldn't tell if it was male or female. Yes. And when I finally realized that it was really something at the foot of my bed, it was a, like a side view. I raised up and I said, who the hell are you? And it turned and it looked at me just like it piercing right through me with his eyes. Yes. And, um, well, it didn't scare me a bit. I thought, well, how about that? And I laid back down and I got up the next morning and I was trying to tell my grandfather about it. And he got mad. He said, boy, you trying to tell me my house is haunted and left the breakfast table. Well, I went down to my aunt's. And I told her she's a very religious woman. Mm-hmm. And she said, Lowell, if you ever see anything like that again, say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Be gone, yes. What do you, what do you want? And then we'll talk to you. Well, look, I, I hate to uh, cast the shadow of uh, skepticism on your story, but I refuse to believe that anybody, anybody would see a ghost, a spirit, a presence at the foot of their bed and then would turn around and go to sleep, I refuse to believe that. Now, that may be my own prejudice, I fully admit. Uh, But in my case, to see such a thing, to go to sleep, to go to sleep, give me a break. Uh, the thing I would more likely do uh, uh, to the bed is to wet it. I mean, I just it, that would just scare the heck out of me at at the minimum. And I, I sure as heck wouldn't go to sleep. Now, I have talked to no less than three or four people tonight uh, who have had their ankles pulled, have had presences on the bed with them, and in each case they have said, I went to sleep. I just can't buy it. Now, you think about it. You you people who have had some even little thing happen to you, like the big bang on my door the other night. It's still bothering me. And at the time that it occurred, I had an adrenaline rush that could only be compared with 
you know, perhaps in encountering a burglar or uh, coming to blows with somebody who's breaking in your house, something like that. And and so I find it just totally beyond the realm that anybody would have their their ankle yanked on or some apparition at the foot of their bed and go and just sort of slide off to sleep. I I have a really hard time with that. First time caller line, you're on the air. This is Dixie in Houston. Dixie in Houston. Hello there. Hello. This is a story that my mother always told about Fort Washita, which was, I guess, a frontier fort just north of the Red River in central Oklahoma. Yes. And the story went that an officer caught his wife in a compromising situation with another officer, and he beheaded both of them with his saber. Mm. And the story from that day on that if you rode the, your horse through that area at night, Aunt Jane, which was the officer's wife, rode on the back of your horse with you through the area where the fort was. Very few people would get out and ride. With or without a head? Without a head. Naturally. Um, I, I appreciate your call, ma'am, and your story, and I have always rather disliked headless stories, but uh, they proliferate in the world of ghost stories, headless stories. Bodies without heads. Wild Card Line, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, yes, I have a book having to do with near-death experiences. You do? Yes, I do. It was written by a physician who's not particularly religious, but he had to recount what happened when he would have uh, surgeries on his patients, and they'd come back, in some cases, absolutely screaming in terror. What is the name of this physician? The name of the physician is Dr. Maurice S. Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S. I am indeed familiar with uh, Dr. Rawlings. Uh, I think, though, that that book was written pretty much from, the, uh, from a religious perspective. You know, it might be. Uh, it's called To Helen Back. Yes, that's right. Yes, I, I know about it. It's uh, written uh, pretty much uh, from a religious perspective. Now, I find very interesting uh, the fact that uh, legitimate uh, mainstream science in Britain is going to begin studying NDEs that apparently resulted in people going to a place that we would think of as hell. And I'm looking forward to the result of that study. So what you're saying is that's going to be objective. Uh, at the same time, we've got to think that Dr. Rawlings, who said he was near atheist when he started these, may have been scared into be, becoming a religious person. Well, that's always possible. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the call, sir. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I am familiar uh, with that book. But I think a good, objective, scientific study, finally, of the phenomena that nobody talks about uh, is definitely in order. And it may be as useful to the re re hello there religious community to prove there is a hell as to prove there is a heaven. Has that occurred to you? It was kind of interesting the other day when I had, tomorrow night we will repeat these, uh, the episode with Harlot, Patsy, the devil worshipper, uh, she calls herself a witch, but 
clearly she worshipped Satan. And in a lot of ways, that program, like a legitimate study of those who have had NDEs that resulted in a hellish experience, really do more for Christianity uh, than they do to uh, hurt it in any way whatsoever. And that was the result. I got so many faxes and so many pieces of email from people who had been so concerned about that show before it ran, but then when they heard it, uh, the end result after the entire program was that those who were religious out there felt it did more for Christianity, terrible as it may have been to hear, uh, than nearly any other program we've done in a long time that simply would have been in some way pro-Christianity. Interesting result to a program of that sort, isn't it? And I think a very similar result would be realized by an objective study of those who have died and apparently gone to hell. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, this is Stu in Phoenix. Hello, Stu. Yes, uh, you're familiar with the story of Christine, the 58th Plymouth with a bad attitude? Oh, they made a movie about it. Yes. Well, I'd like to tell you there is a counterpart to that car in Peninsula, Ohio. At least there was 25 years ago. Really? Yes, I was driving through there one night about 2.30 in the morning... And the car came from out of the darkness behind me and started tailgating. Uh-huh. So he was flashing his lights, blowing his horn. Yes. And I tried to let him pass, but he wouldn't. Uh-huh. So when I got to a stoplight, I looked in the mirror, and I could tell it was a white 61 Chevy following me. Right. Well, I knew somebody who had such a car, so I thought it might have been him. Mm-hmm. Well, when the light turned, I turned left, and the car stayed right behind me. When I got to the next light, I was going to turn right, so I pulled in the right-hand lane. The Chevy pulled up alongside of me. All its windows were open, so I looked over to see who was driving. There was nobody driving. There was nobody in the car. Now, could you even see far enough down on the driver's side to be sure there was nobody hunkered down there? I was driving an older car, which sat much higher. And... uh I could see the whole inside of the car. There was nobody in there. A driverless and So I burned out of there and of uh, got about uh, to 110 and a quarter mile, I think. <laughs> and I went through an S-turn, taking my life in my hands, and lost sight of the Chevy partway through the turn. He was still after me. Well, I waited for his lights to reappear, but they never did. <laughs> so after about a mile or so... I turned around and went back. I checked all up and down that stretch of road. Where you, I see now, 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 wait a minute now. You, ris- was, you risked your life doing 100 miles an hour to get away from this thing, and you turned around and went back? Yes. Uh, out of curiosity or uh, wondering if somebody had gotten hurt or what. But I looked all up and down that stretch of road. There was no sign that any car had even been on the road. There was no car on the road or off. No skid marks, no tire tracks, nothing. The car had vanished. Well, that's a hell of a story. And uh, I've heard other people tell of similar encounters with a car of the same description. However, uh, the, the, the part where you went back is equivalent to every horror movie I've ever seen where the girl with the low-cut uh, address inevitably hears thumping, banging, screaming, Agony coming from the basement, 
And where does she go? Down to the basement. Uh-huh. Right. And and you 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 did a hundred miles an hour to get away, and then you turned around and went back. But you know, by in any horror, in any decent horror movie, you deserved to die. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I appreciate the story, sir. Okay. All right. Take care. I mean, anybody who he, you know, in a, if if that had been a horror movie, <laughs> he'd have tire tracks going right over his body. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, Bart. Yes. Hey, uh, I'm calling from Central California, I'm driving a truck. Uh, my story involves a, uh, probably about 100 years ago, comes from my father through his father, and the story goes that uh, uh, my grandfather's great uncle was out hunting uh, rabbits with uh, his brother, and they uh, come across uh, this old lady who lived in the area. They called her Aunt Polly, and uh, the folklore was that she was a witch. Well, she was out in her uh, front yard, and she was making apple butter, which uh, apparently, uh, I have never made it, but apparently if you, uh, when you make apple butter, it wants to pop and uh, boil over on you pretty uh, rapidly. Mm. Well, they uh, they told her, they said, Aunt Polly, you better watch apple butter. It's going to uh, get you. And uh, apparently she looked at him and just sort of smiled and says, oh, that can hurt me. And she pulled rolled up the sleeve and stuck her arm in and started stirring it with her arm. Oh, my goodness. And this is a relative of yours. Uh, yes, I guess it would be like a great, great, great uncle. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, do you ever have strange urgings yourself? No, sure don't, Art. <laughs> Enjoy your show a lot. I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Be careful on the road out there. All right. All right, yep, a lot of truckers out there. All right, bottom of the hour, stretch run coming up. This, of course, is Ghost to Ghost AM. to the best of Art Bell. And here we go with the stretch run for 1997 and Halloween. Are you ready? First time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Um, uh, are you there? Uh, am I here? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, were you referring to mentally or physically? <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway, uh, hi, I'm uh, Ken calling from uh, Kohala, Hawaii. Wow. Okay. And I've been uh, listening to your show for a couple months now. Yes, sir. And I really, I personally don't have a story to tell you, but uh, I live uh, here in uh, Plantation.
plantation, uh, old defunct plantation uh, town in Hawaii. And I live uh, with my parents here, just moved back, and uh, was raised basically here in a home that's uh, over a century old. And uh, basically a story about my mom when well, I was an infant. If I might, uh, there should be a lot of Hawaiian stories because the kind of plantation you're on uh, very early in Hawaiian history was, uh, was stocked with workers imported from the Philippines and elsewhere uh, yes. that uh, worked very, very hard in those fields, and many of them died in those fields. And I would think that if there were hauntings, there would definitely be hauntings where you are. Well, the home that I live in, actually my parents' home now, uh, apparently was occupied by one of the mill managers. Ah, and uh, the mill's been out for about uh, 25, almost 30 years now. And basically, uh, the home that we're in is, is haunted. Um, but it goes back and forth. Uh, when I was uh, born back in 71, my parents had just bought a, the home here and remodeled it. And um, my mom had, uh, my parents had a great Dane. And as you've talked, uh, the other callers have talked about animals being sensitive to ghosts. You bet. Um, we had a great Dane, in fact, one of the, one of the biggest in the state. And uh, my mom was upstairs one night uh, alone. My father was out on business, out of state. And she remembers quite vividly uh, the animal. Uh, Hina was her name, Hawaiian name. And uh, we'll get very sensitive at night. And uh, she would get chicken skin and get that feeling hmm. like you're in the presence of a ghost. Yes. And on one occasion, she uh, walked up the stairs, and we have two cold walking chairs upstairs. There's the three rooms upstairs in this home. And she remembers seeing an image of kind of a loha shirt or kind of a pattern, an old pattern with kind of a dark skin. The entity was kind of transparent, but she could see a color little color of the skin rocking back and forth. And uh, I actually sat down with my mom one night and asked her about one of the infants that had died in the home uh, because there had been apparently uh, caretakers in the home and so forth. Yes. And uh, she was not receptive to my asking of the question. Mm -hmm. And my mother never gets gets that way. And on occasion, my father has worked and uh, was working one time, as a matter of fact, and it always seems the reoccurrence of ghosts when, the, when my dad's repairing a room or something like that. And he remembers very vividly scraping the paint off the, uh, one of the uh, roofs and ceilings, and somebody asked him, what are you doing? Well, my father threw everything down and, and looked back and said, what do, you, what do you think I'm doing? And realized that no one was in the home. <laughs> I appreciate the story, sir. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, that's from Hawaii. And there are indeed many hauntings in the islands. They have a rich, very rich history. And one, one Dreamland, we did an entire program on Hawaiian hauntings. It was very good, and we're going to have to repeat it. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Good morning, Art. How are things? Uh, things are okay. They're nice and creepy, I know. Yes. I've got the candle lit, the lights are out, and I'm reminiscing about 20 years ago when I lived in an apartment. My name is Ron. I live in San Rafael. 
just north of the city. Right. And uh, for a long time, I lived in this apartment for eight years, and eventually my girlfriend moved in and we got married. And that was the last three years. Now, I had a waterbed. I was in sales. I'd come home in the afternoon before going back to the office. I'd lay down to take a nap. And there'd be a tugging on my body. Sometimes mm. I would have that pressing sensation. Yes. Where you get, like, paralyzed and all that. Yes. That, I thought, was just some kind of sleep problem. But then I get this tugging. Like, I was supposed to leave my body and go someplace. Mm-hmm. Now, I never saw anything strange in the apartment. Things moved around sometimes, and I thought, well, I just wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. When my girlfriend moved in, then we started having problems with the waterbed. Like, there was a leak, but there wasn't. Emptied all the water out, blew it up with a vacuum, checked the whole thing. There were no holes. Could not figure out what's going on. Oh. The flood of 82, we had to move. About three, four months later, I talked to the landlord, and uh, I said, well, how are things? You know, you get your place back together? And he says, yeah. And he says, but a strange thing happened. I said, well, what's that? He said, it took about a month to clean the place up. A young lady moved in who was being taken care of by a gentleman who was married. Apparently, she was feeling the same things that we felt, but she ended up committing suicide. Oh, my. Now, I didn't know until then that there was a gentleman that had passed away in the bedroom prior to my renting. So his spirit was bouncing around in there. Now there's two spirits bouncing around in there. So that may have been the flood that saved your life. Either saved my life or, you know, it was never threatening. It was just, I started reading a lot of OB, out-of-body experience books. I, under, I understand, but I mean, yeah. look, look at what happened to the girl that was in there following. Well, I think maybe it's guilt that got her. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And, and the other thing you've got to consider is the possibility that had you remained, it you might have gotten worse. Yeah, and yeah. You, you might have ended... Maybe, maybe he was upset that we were living together out of marriage or something. Uh, you know, who knows? You uh, did get married. Oh, we did, and we eventually got divorced, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's a horror story, too. Well, there's the other thing of climbing off of Mount Shasta and seeing visions up there. And uh, I knew nothing about that at the time. Mm. And I saw this... I thought it was like a guardian angel. And I thought I was going crazy. Um, but I hiked off the mountain, dragging a toboggan. And it was full moon night. And you know how you feel something behind you and the hair goes up? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking Castaneda. Left is death, right is the other way. I'm going left, right, left, right. Okay, make sure you turn to the right, Ron. So I turn around, and on top of this rock, I see this glowing figure. Kind of like the statue down at uh, L.A. for the awards. But the hands are at the side. It's not threatening. And I thought, I'm going straight to Napa. I lost my cookie. I'm going crazy. And so I thought, well, I'll turn around. And I, I looked at the statue and I said, thanks. I uh, appreciate your help. You know. And I turned around and I walked a couple steps. And I said, I better tr- check one more time. I turned around. It was still there. And the only thing I could think to do was whistle a happy tune and run. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whole... hey, prior to your divorce, did an entity visit you and advise you to get a lawyer? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, they didn't, because after that, you know, we, we moved, and I 
I haven't experienced any other crazy things. All right. Well, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your stories, plural. Uh, East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hello. Um, I'm I'm calling from Tennessee. Tennessee. Should I get my first name? Sure. Uh, well, uh, let's call myself John. I'm afraid that the story might uh, be too recognizable to a few of us. Uh, okay, John. Okay. Um, I want everybody now to listen very carefully so we can identify John by his voice. Go ahead, John. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Okay. Um, I'm going to explain a little bit of uh, motivations for some of my actions, lest I draw immediate criticism from you. Okay. Okay. Um, it involves a friend of mine and I in, in college. This is about five or six years ago. And a haunted auditorium. Now, we were both people who, uh, a couple of years before this, had been complete unbelievers in, in all sorts of different phenomena. He was completely um, agno uh, agnostic, and um, I, I wasn't sure what I was. Um, but we had all found neat, tidy ways to explain all this away. And uh, then we had befriended this third third guy who was involved in the darker side of spiritual happenings and such. And uh, uh -huh. yeah, we had problems that we had a hard time getting rid of. Um, and we were both very interested uh, in, in different religious traditions, but it was just in a sort of academic way. But we found ourselves sort of um, making a sort of hodgepodge of, of different religions and traditions trying to deal with this new situation we were in and found them to, to work. And um, so um, this is sort of the stage we were in. It was curious, but, you know, we were trying to find answers to things and such. And... Um, um, started questioning, you know, why are we here? What does the spiritual world have to do with us? What are our obligations and such? And uh, there was this uh, auditorium on campus of the college, and it, it had been um, a fort uh, during the Civil War. And um, there had there had been several major battles uh, on that hill. Mm -hmm. And um, there had been different stories about that auditorium, and some of them sounded possibly credible, some of them not so credible. Um, and something that had, had happened to friends of ours. And uh, so one night we, uh, well, we often walked around the campus on night, just uh, at night, just talking and, uh, and that sort of thing. And we would sit up on the hill uh, near the auditorium. It was kind of a, gave it kind of a nice view of the city. So we decided to, to go in one night. Um, it's supposed to be locked. It doesn't work very well. I think they've secured it better since then. And um, I take it you were going in to test all this. Sort of going into test it all, right. Um, and my friend had said that he had uh, been in there uh, and sent some things before, but he was in a, a stage at the time where he was, you know, just writing it all off as, ah, you know, got myself worked up and, you know, did myself the spooks and such. So he wanted to try it again, sort of. Um, and uh, we both been in during the day. It's fine. It's like everything sort of goes into hiding. Mm -hmm. Well, when you first walk in, uh, there's a sort of hostile atmosphere. There's a, um, it seems like there's a bunch of spirits. And some of the stories that have been circulating uh, were such that uh, musicians and such that, that practice there um, for the day to, to come uh, have experienced such things as hearing the seats move around and, and looking out and seeing all the eyes, like uh, eyes in the audience and all the seats and that sort of thing. Um, well, we sat there and I didn't see anything for a while. Uh, but there was a, a feeling that uh, we weren't wanted. Um, but after a while, it kind of settled down. It's like they ignored us. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's because it's an auditorium and they're you know used to people coming and going, but not at night so much. I, I don't know. Um, but we started watching it. There was a feeling that we should whisper and be very quiet 
And uh, we did notice uh, a couple of, uh, um, I don't know what you call the motions in the, in the balcony. Uh, there would be where there was some, some uh, like, emergency light. Yes. Things or security light or something. And there would be, like, a, a black figure of a, of a person would go towards the light and then disappear. Kind of like you'd catch it out of the corner of your eye. Exactly. Yes. And um, um, it was interesting. It was like uh, people trying to walk, but it didn't work right. It's like they thought they were there and thought they were still in their body, but it didn't work right. Right. Okay. Um, now, on the grounds around that uh, auditorium that, um, was where uh, a lot of the, um, the killings had taken place, there was actually a trench. I didn't know it was a trench at the time. Uh, where I would walk through it, and get all sorts of uh, creepy feelings. Uh, I wouldn't walk through that at night. I didn't know why. I didn't know why until two or three years later that that was. I didn't know it was a, a, a battle trench. Um, but I would get these sort of feelings that the, you know, really dark sort of feelings of death and murder and such. Um, so my friend and I left after a while. We, we we'd had enough. And um, but uh, after. Two or three days, you know, we got to talking about it and felt that we should do something. You know, if this is real, and if those are really spirits that, you know, are left over from the war and such, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's terrible. Uh, sort of what we were talking, or what you were talking about earlier, you know, people being trapped on Earth. And yes. Civil War was a long time ago. So what did you do? So we decided that we were going to try to help them in some way, and so we were thinking of, you know, what, who, what do people do around the world to deal with this sort of situation? And the Japanese, and also the Chinese, um, uh, have something what the Japanese call a no-play, where actors take on the the, um, the roles of the people that are involved in the story, and they act it out. And through that acting out, the ghost sort of realizes that uh, it's, it's been, it's, the people are aware of it, and it sort of exercises the ghost, and yes. it helps it on its way. So you did that? We did that. And um, I'm trying to wrap this up quickly. Um, so we played opposite sides. One was north, one was south. And we got on stage there, and we acted it out. And the the highlight is um, it, it all sort of be, became more real than I wanted it to be. I, I felt sort of silly at first. But it I instantly felt like um, younger than I was, um, like 15 or 16 or something, and scared out of my wits. Like I didn't know what I was doing. Here I was in the middle of this, this, this war. And... Um, I heard this voice, which I thought was my friend from across the stage, saying, be quiet. And I knew it was my commanding officer, and I was aware of the fact that when he said that, I was whimpering and such, and I, I felt silly. I felt uh, very immature. And I saw my friend rushing me across from the stage, and I, I said, this is it. I'm going to die. Um, this is the end of my life. And we ran at each other, and... and Acted out the rest. I was just real short. We, we shot at each other, and I felt that I had died, and I remembered my wife and knew that there was a child that I was not going to see again. Wow. And we got to walking out afterwards, uh, and uh, we felt like we'd really done something. And um, I said, you know, that, that actually worked a lot better than I, I thought it would. I, I mean, I was getting visuals and such. My friend's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the visuals sort of matched up. And I said to my friend, you know, I think the, the the high point was when you yelled over at me like, you know, be quiet because you were, you know, I, I didn't know what you were doing at first, but I, I felt that it was my commanding officer, you know, telling me that, you know, get, get straight, here it comes. Sure. And he said, um, do what? And I said, you know, when you yelled at me. And tears started running down his face. And uh, my knees collapsed. <laughs> he didn't do that. 
he didn't say that. Oh, my God. And um, we didn't go back for a while, um, but we did want to know sort of if anything had happened. And we had uh, we did go around that area, and after about a month or so, we managed to get up the courage to go back in. And um, uh, the atmosphere did seem different. It, 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 they weren't all gone or anything like that, but uh, it seemed different. Well, maybe it was minus one or two. That's what we were hoping. Maybe you had helped one or two on. That's what we were hoping. But uh, I thought that was sort of interesting. You were talking about the proactive thing, whether it was a loop or a proactive. Yes. Um, I think that uh, some of the spirits are in a loop until something gets them out. I've had another experience. I won't get into it, of course. That seems to indicate the same sort of thing. And um, that acting that my friend and I did also seems to... Yes, but the, big que- the big question is... Uh, are these soul spirits actually caught in a loop, in a, in a, a truly a damned loop to repeat an endless horrible death, or is it simply sort of a, an echo uh, of what did occur? Not truly a trapped soul, uh-huh. but just just an echo. It's a very very important question. Well, uh, what what our experience seems to indicate, and what a lot of other cultures around the world believe, is that uh, that they are there, but not trapped in the sense that they don't, they don't know what to do necessarily, but um, they're held there. It seemed like some of them still were holding on to the war. I mean, some of them were still, you know, I'm of the course. North, you're the South. Of course. Yeah. And that, that was, it, it, nothing changed uh, from the instant they died. Right. Their reality is still then. Right, exactly. Well, you did a very strange thing, but... <laughs> But actually a very good thing, and, and I guess you felt good about it. Yeah, we did. We felt relieved ourselves, yeah. All right, well, listen, you have just completed Ghost to Ghost AM with one of the best stories, so I give you the honors. Tell everybody good night. Good night, everybody. That's it. Folks, we're out of time. It has been one of the best uh, Ghost to Ghost shows, actually uh, two of them this year. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you all. Sorry we didn't have more time. From the high desert, I'm Art Bell. Good night.